G'day team and welcome to another episode of the Two Towers Podcast, a Middle Earth strategy battle game podcast. I'm Geordie. And I am Albert and on today's podcast you should be very excited because we have the most anticipated tournament of the year. Yes, it's uh, look, it's been three years coming, <laughs> so I'm very hyped. True. Um, and this is the big one. This, this is, the, big is one. the tournament to go to if you're within, well, look, Australia, but... Yeah. Uh, Victoria more specifically as well. I was going to go the other way and say, uh, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, well, this is the tournament. Maybe if you're on the planet Earth. <laughs> no, no. It's, um, it's, it's the Silmarillion is just knocks it out of the park every yep. year. Yeah. So it's, I guess, let's actually tell you what it is. It's, it's a thematic tournament. Like, it's very story driven. Yeah. All the years just play like so much different because they actually change year to year. Mm. Yeah, they don't have a set narrative or a set theme uh, running through each year. Um, every year they mix it up and they have a, a different kind of format. Um, but generally speaking, like broadly speaking, what what makes SIL such a great event, one of the key things I yeah. think, is that you're playing as a team. A team tournament. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so it's not necessarily... Like, it, it used to be, I think in the last time that the tournament was run, it was just good versus evil. Yes, that's right. It was. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was yeah. two teams. And so you had this real camaraderie of all your other teammates who were playing on the evil or the good side, catching up with them in between games. And you're like, how did you go? Yeah. Did you win? Yeah. And they're like, no. And you're like, oh, oh that's okay. No, that's okay. Because me and this guy, oh, we both got to win. So we're two and one. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So really cool. And this year, so uh, do you want to talk a bit about how they've changed it and mixed it up this year, Jordy? Yeah. So I think, um, so the last seal that actually happened, I think the storyline was... Uh, Numenor That's got right. unsunk. Yes. Numenor uh, rose to the surface rose again. Rose to the surface. And so yeah. all the sort of realms of Middle-earth scrambled to, yeah. to fight over this new yeah. new land to claim it for themselves. Um, this year, we are instead heading into the Fourth Age. Yes. Uh, which ha- has a lot of implications, actually, for, yeah. for like which ca- models you can use and which you can't and stuff like that. Um, and so the storyline is just like, you know, the the two blue wizards have mm. returned to either, well, one's gone good, I believe Alatar maybe, and one's gone evil, Palando, I believe. Oh, and they've yeah. come back and they're sort of like, one of them's gone to Aragorn and like, hey, look, you know, this this uh, Palando guy, he's got something cooking. And Alatar's gone to, to the, the uh, South Rons and gone, hey, this King Aragorn guy, he's no good. Uh, and so now he's just sort of like there. All the forces of both sides are scrambling and they're about to come to a head. Yeah, right. That's a very cool premise. And so you mentioned that there were um, restrictions around heroes. I think it's important to note that there can only be one named hero. Yeah. Right. Uh, So as a team, you kind of have to divide up who you're taking. Uh, and and so there's not going to be 20 Boromirs of the White Tower. Can Boromir... <laughs> I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the horror stories, but that's okay. Because is Boromir... You can't take Boromir at all, I'm assuming, because he's uh, dead, I right? Think he's been skewered by yeah. some brook arrows, yeah. yeah. I think there are a couple, like, you know, there there are a few that you're allowed to take as counts as. Like, yes. you mentioned the Blue Wizards. The two Wizards. Um, right. There's a Saruman and Gandalf allowed, despite yeah, uh, Saruman being dead and, and Gandalf having gone to the Grey Havens. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, and then there's a couple a couple of exceptions, like, you know, you can take Balin, um, but he's obviously not Balin. Yeah. He's, you know, using that profile as, you know, Garland. 
So, um, so the, there are obviously exceptions because otherwise, there's just not going to be enough named heroes to go around. Yeah, for it would everyone, be right? it would, it's, particular lists would struggle more than others. Yeah. Like I think most of the evil lists you can do without named heroes because they're yeah. designed that way. Yeah. But I think some of the good lists, like like you said, dwarves without a Balin, like yeah. having too many with just a king champ and that's it, that would be a struggle. Yeah, there were a few other like list allowances that I know occurred. Yep. Um, so, for example, given that um, Palando is fighting for the Southrons, I believe he's been recruited to, you know, it was either Easterlings or, because I was part of the Fallen Realms for a time, we'll get to this, this is a this is a whole thing as well. So, there were a few, like, changes to yeah. profiles and being yeah. placed in different armies. Yeah. Um, like, I heard tell that, um, because it's Fourth Age, Arwen's part of Ministeria. Yeah, of course. Makes um, sense. So, cool things like that. Like, yeah. cool thematic right. changes are allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really cool. So, um, to give more of a broad uh, overview, um, it's a two-day event, right? So, mm. again, it's like it's one of the bigger events that yep. um, we run uh, on, a, on a year. Um, there's lots of players, although this year we were a little bit down. Yeah. Having said that, it was still around the 40 mark. I think there's still 40 going, um, a give or take, like one or two maybe. And then, which is sort of a big downgrade from some of the other years in the before times. I think I think we had like I think it was up to, 70s and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Big numbers. Yeah. But look, in the grand scheme of things, if it's just 40, that's still pretty huge. That's a big enough event, I'd say. It's definitely a big enough event. Um, because it's two days, you got six um, uh, games across the two days. Yeah, is it's that a right? six, six gamer, which is big. That's very big. I think, I think the two days normally go three and two. Yeah. So like caps at five, but yeah, yeah, yeah. three and three, baby. Whew. <laughs> Going wall to wall. Um, and points-wise, it's 650? 650, yep. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of standard for Sill. I think it's been at 650 the past couple of... Yeah, I think that part's events. unchanged. And I think it's it's a good points limit because that's where you've got everything, but there's it's not so much that now it's just, you know, the same model 10 times. Yeah, and it also works if you can only... Ta- if there's only one big hero, like if there's only one Aragorn yeah. per team, yeah. then that kind of inherently restricts the lists as a whole. Yeah. So anything above 650, I think you would start to just see more captains and generic troops yeah. which I don't know like it, that, that's interesting because you wouldn't normally see that yeah but, it'd be a cool list to see whether it plays as well as you know yeah. Aragorn LSR you I, know. I, I think 650 is a good points limit um, you know for kind of standard tournament play anyway so yeah, yeah. oh I think it's a terrific limit because you again you're like you've got everything you've got the tools to combat whatever your opponent has yeah it's not like a paper scissors rock oh you've got Gulabar and I've only got troops I lose yeah it's Look, you've got Gulabar, but I've got magic. Yeah. You know, we're on an equal foot in that regard, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that I think that gives a little bit of a broad brush overview. Is there anything else that we need to talk about before we Well, get one into thing I did kind of want to mention, which leads into the team aspect, it's a lot more casual. True. Right? If I yeah. go into a tournament... Look, I'm, I'm trying to win, right? Yeah. So every single game, I'm racking my brain every turn of every, you know, for the full two hours. Yeah. But here, look, you you're, you're, you want to do well for your team. Mm. But look, if you lose, you lose. You don't care. Yeah. Because like, cause like you, we mentioned earlier, you know, I'll say, oh, shit, you know, I lost. And I'll go to my my fellow mortal buds and they'll be like, no, don't worry. I got the win. I got the win. Mm-hmm. And I look over to the table next to me and I'll see, you know, the, the troll just stomping Aragorn. I'll be like, yes, sick. We got a win over here too. You know, like 
there's not as much weight on every game. Yeah. I was just thinking then as well, like that it also means that there's slightly less psychological burden if you do lose. Like, you know, mm. when you lose a close game or you lose, if you get stomped, uh, yeah, thinking well. from more my experiences, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes it's hard to put that behind you before going into the next game, right? This is true, but yeah. But then if it's a more, A, a more relaxed event and you've, you've got the camaraderie of your team around you, yeah. then it's like, that's eh, okay. You know, water off a duck's back onwards and upwards kind of thing. So, um, it is a really interesting dynamic how that changes. Uh, yeah, I think it just changes the way you play completely. Like, yeah. you still try, but there's no... There's that, that pressure's gone. Oh, it's gone. Yeah. You, you, you can function, basically. And I, I, I don't know if um, it's by design. I'd love to talk to um, Tim and Josh, who are the TOs. The TOs, I suppose yeah. it's another thing. It's run by two guys because yeah. there is so much... I think there's so much work that goes on in the background, not just tallying up the scores, but they've also yep. got this narrative that yeah. runs through the day. And so you kind of have to have two people running it. Um, and I'd love to talk to them about whether this whole dynamic of um, by making it a team event, you kind of steer people away from getting into the uber competitive yeah. streak yeah. and you keep it a little bit more casual, which then means that the flavor of the day is that narrative um, it's super successful. Like, yo, oh, yeah. I as think, you can tell by how excited <laughs> we are. I think uh, I did. I did miss the last one. I missed Numenor uh, resurfacing, but I was at the one before that. Gee, it was a bloody blast. Like the whole day, start to finish, you just had the best, the best time. And I think it was the team element. It was the fact that the, the event was so well run as well. Yeah, like it was yeah. all smooth, and that you could tell play by play there was a lot because there was like extra there was like maps and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. and there's so much extra effort put in it wasn't just like tally up the points this guy won this guy lost this guy won this guy lost it was tally up the points translate that onto the map and then this affects this and this affects this like it was it wasn't just yeah win loss it was there was more to it which was really cool and I can say having been to the last one which was the Numenor event yeah that was the first tournament back uh, since returning to the hobby, yep. I lost every single game and I had a, <laughs> I had a fucking blast. Honestly, oh, yes. <laughs> like, it was still an amazing day. Um, not only because the people that I was playing were awesome, but, um, you know, got to meet a whole bunch of, uh, new people in the hobby and, um, it had this whole narrative over the top of it, which I just totally got into. It was awesome. Yep. Um, so even though I let my team down horrifically, (laughs) I was still laughing at the end of it. To to be fair, losing every game, that's more impressive. (laughs) I don't think I was the only person who lost every oh. game, uh, but no, so you, maybe you I had wasn't. A, you had a little brawl over the wooden spoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a wrestle to the bottom. I got a sweet prize. No, I think I was definitely a wooden spoon actually. Yeah, because I got a sweet prize, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. Well, I think look, we may have rambled a bit there, but hopefully that just is a testament to our excitement here. Because mm. um, Silmaril is. It's just 10 out of 10. I think it's it's so hard to beat this tournament. I haven't heard of another tournament quite like it. I think for international listeners, perhaps the closest thing that comes to it is Throne of Skulls in the UK. Okay. But uh, it's different in that... Oh, my understanding of Throne of, Throne of Skulls, first of all, it's not a team-based event. Okay. Um, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a thousand points, but the... 
the um, the emphasis is very much on theme right, and narrative. Right. Everyone, like you know, it's strongly encouraged to dress up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, from from all accounts, it sounds like that's that's kind of the closest thing to like a, a more casual themey narrative. Yeah. Um, but but I still think this is in its own class. Well, I guess good news for you international listeners out there. You get to be the first to run this type of tournament, Ooh. and you will be beloved. Oh my yeah, god, because yeah. it is just so good. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, so if you're thinking of running a tournament, maybe try and go like team based. Yeah, see how that goes. Yeah, change the dynamic. Uh, I'm sure that um, I'm just going to volunteer. That, <laughs> uh, Tim Wright and Josh Coleman are uh, up for giving some <laughs> advice to international TOs. Um, I apologise to both of them yeah. if they're not. Or if they didn't want their idea plagiarized, go <laughs> The cat's out of the bag. On that note, let's move swiftly along to yes. the next section. Maybe they won't notice. A new power is rising. It's victory. Is at hand. A new power is rising. And its hobbying is at hand. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and this is the section where we talk all about the armies that we take to the tournaments. Now, I think I'm going to come clean at the start of this segment and say <sighs> that, unfortunately, I am one of those uh, 40 rubbery members <laughs> of the fellowship that have had to bow out last minute um, from the tournament. Three days out, no less. Yeah. Well, um, look, of all the players, I think you've got a good excuse. Look, yes, yes. I'm going to assume everyone else had bad excuses, but you, you get away with it. <laughs> I'm sure everyone that has had to bow out has a legitimate excuse. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my excuse is that I have to, um, to stay at home and look after uh, my son uh, because my wife has injured her knee so mm, mm. um i'll be sitting on the bench but i mean look before we bow your army out it's a pretty cool concept do you want to just like sort of explain oh, okay. quickly yeah. yeah yeah sure so the the rapid fire uh the the elevator pitch is fourth age um gimli and legolas made a promise mm. that they would go traveling together and best buds um, keep their promises best buds always keep their promise so this army uh was based around legolas coming to visit gimli in his new newly established kingdom in the glittering caves now um, for those not so lore aware that's Behind Helm's Deep, right? Yep. That's where the women and children ran off to? Yep. Yeah, so in the books, Gimli actually ends up in the caves, defending them there. Um, and after the battle... Oh, that would have um, been sick. Yeah, it would have been so good. Would have been so Sorry, good. Sorry, keep going. Um, uh, after the battle, he takes Legolas in. And there's actually this really beautiful passage um, that Tolkien kind of describes um, these natural caverns and the way that Gimli talks about them, I think is really, uh, like it, it, it's, it shows the softer side of Gimli, which yeah. isn't revealed throughout the rest of the book. Well, and I think maybe of all the dwarves in the whole. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the idea is that Gimli has gone and, uh, established the kingdom of Aglarond, um, which happened in the fourth age, um, which is covered in the appendices uh, and Legolas is coming to, to check on their progress. So it's yeah. Gimli and a whole bunch of dwarves, 
um, some Vault Wardens and uh, King's Champ and, you know, all the usual suspects. Um, and then uh, a single drop uh, with Legolas. And the cool thing was that um, Tim uh, allowed me to take it as a Green Alliance. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still getting... Uh, well, I would have still been getting my Dwarf Poison Axes. Yep. Rerolling ones. <laughs> um, but you still had the, the rivalry between Gimli oh, and Gimli Legolas. Oh, the Fellowship rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So um, sad to, to not take it. Although I did um, do quite a few practice games with it. It's actually quite a fun list. Oh, good. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Like anyway. having the sturdy dwarves and Legolas just pop themselves into combat. Yeah, it's just an interesting... Dy- like, it's basically having a... I guess a, a a low grade ballista that can move around and has might, yeah, um, yeah. kind of thing, and, and great for taking down um, the odd ring wraith or two, <sighs> um, which you know, which we know happens in the books all the time. Legolas just pot shots ring wraiths. Absolutely, he did it on the River Anduin. Yeah, actually, yeah, he, there's actually, actually it does it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, enough about the army that's not going to the tournament. Let's talk about the army that is going to the tournament. All right. So, my elevator pitch. I've got the Dark Marshal returning to Kandum, the Red Keep in the north. Ooh. And he's replacing the Witch King's position because the Witch King, of course, used to rule over Angmar and yep. Kandum. So, he's been met by the remnants of Kandum. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all the men that used to reside there. Mm-hmm. And he's brought in the Hillmen as well. Yeah, the cool. Hillmen of Ruduar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and upon sort of arriving to, to the castle, he's got his, the, the Knight of Kandum, who was the established sort of leader. Yeah, right. Kind of like he the despot up. before he... Yep, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and the Hill Chief has joined the rabble. Yep. And then he's got a couple of trolls from the Troll Shores that he's managed to uh, turn to his side. Awesome. So part of the uh, whole process of submitting lists for SIL, we didn't cover this in the first um, part of the section, but they do ask you for a write-up yeah. for your army. Yeah, um, being so theme driven, mm, one of the parts of the army list submission is a written theme as well. Mm, mm. I feel like uh, I'm kind of uh, a little bit glad that I didn't end up going because I've now had a look at the extent <laughs> of the write up that you have given your list, and it's somewhat more in depth, detailed, and well rounded when compared with mine. <laughs> So did you want to you want to talk through in detail for the listeners what what the theme of your army is and, and how you've written it? Yeah, of course. So um, I, look, I guess I'll just read out the the little script uh, blurb. I guess that I mm. that I've got written up. So the fortress of Kandum, the once great dwarven fortress of Kandum, had been usurped by the greatest villain of the Third Age, the Witch King, as the hammer pressed against the now obliterated Arnor. Where it was once a tool to destroy, it has become a refuge for the scattered things, evil and twisted, any who still held their allegiance to Sauron and his servants. Though a void is felt at the loss of the Lieutenant of Morgoth, as Sauron has succeeded his forebear, now stands a chance for the remaining eight Nazgul to succeed under the ever-present shadow of Mordor. One such Nazgul, the Dark Marshal, formerly a once great and proud Prince of Cardolan, has returned to the fortress that had felled him all those centuries ago. There he found many minions hiding from the blaze of Numenor that had seen the reviled orcs massacred across much of Westerness of Middle-earth. As the Witch King had launched a great invasion across one of the proudest and strongest nations of Numenor, now it falls unto the Prince of Cardolan to follow in his master's footsteps. Deep in the Red Fortress, cruel and dreary men had amassed in great numbers alongside the rough and brawling hillmen of Ruduar, 
Lumbering alongside these wicked men were massive mountain trolls, clever enough to seek refuge against the scourge of the West, and brutish enough to enact a great revenge for the followers of Melkor, Sauron, and the Witch King. Now is the hour of the lost and forgotten. They shall be forgotten no more. That is an awesome write-up. As I say, much better than uh, mine. I want to touch on one thing that you highlighted in in that little blurb before yeah. we go into the proxy models. And yeah. What, what what you've uh, how you've modelled things up. You mentioned the Dark Marshals uh, backstory. Yeah, which which is very timely because only last week did you run a Prince of Cardinal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. this wasn't planned because this is actually an old army of mine. Yeah. But the head cannon's been the same this whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's not much that's written in the actual works of Tolkien on the, you know, who the wraiths were before they were turned. Yeah. Um, other than Kamul. Kamul is known to um, have just been an Eastling who willingly Eastling. went. Um, yeah, even the Witch King. I don't the, think, the yeah, top, I don't think we, any... we don't know. He's not particularly mysterious. There, there's a lot of mystery. But you have talked to me um, off air on how you think the, like these these yeah. wraiths were made or like the process or what was going on. So do you want to talk a little bit about well, your head cannon? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is going off the line in the movies, potentially in the books, though I hadn't read the books for a long time. So mm. whether it was or not, who knows? But it's it's where Frodo is stabbed with a Morgul blade. Yeah. And they go, he's becoming a wraith like them. Yeah. To me, like, why was he not becoming a wraith already? You know, if he's got a ring and it corrupts and blah, 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 obviously Hobbit protection and stuff like that. But... Why is it that now that he's been stabbed with a Morgul blade, he's mm. becoming a wraith? Mm. Well, maybe that's how it happened to all the other nine. Ah, oh, right. So it wasn't actually the ring that was corrupting no, them. Like the ring they got stabbed by evil a Morgul blade and make them be horrible people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, right. Because that's the whole thing with the dwarven rings, right? That it makes them go gold mad. Yeah, right. But they don't turn into wraiths. No. Because, yeah, there's no yeah, So, interesting. to me, it's like the Morgul blade is what does the turning. Yeah, so sure. once you're hit with that Morgul blade, yeah. Give it a week and then you'll be a part of like that twilight realm that like half... That's where the wraiths live. Where the wraiths like yeah. actually, where their form actually exists. Yeah, cool. Um, so I guess in order to accomplish that, right, the, the, the rings were given to all the realms of men, including like Numenor, like all the good good men as well. Good men, quote unquote. Mm. So like like we mentioned, Kamul, willingly turned. Mm. We don't know much about the Witch King, but oh, let's just assume that he willingly turned and there's just no documentation. He's just a very sneaky boy. Mm. Like, what happened all throughout, you know, Middle Earth history were these random invasions from all the different, like, Southrons and Easterlings. Mm. What if that was just, like, a cover? Mm. You know, there's there's the realm of men, let's just say, like, the Dalemen, while they still have their ring. So then they send, like, you know, the Wayne Riders in um, and to, in, to, to invade Dale. Mm. But those wars, they were just, like... You know, in fight for like two weeks and then out. Mm. Like they were sure, mm. and there was no reason for them to do it. Like they didn't set up encampments or whatever. Or if they did, obviously they didn't gain much. Around yeah, it wasn't. Around. It wasn't about conquering land, right? So the way I see it, they did. You know, that big invasion, that big push, make it all the way where the kings show themselves in the battlefield, or that the you know the current Nazgul can get close enough in one way or another, and they just do that surgical incision stab that Morgul blade into the king specifically, you know, get back to the army and then pull out. You know, we've done our job. Yeah. We've invaded as far as we need to. We got the king to show his face 
and away we go. Mm. Then we just let him go for two weeks, he'll come to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that happens on repeat. There's like this big invasion into like where Rohan ends up being. Yeah. By, um, like the tribes of the Eastlings, I'm trying to remember what they were called. The the Balkoth tribesmen, I yes. think. Yes. Yeah. Um, who just randomly invaded for no reason. And look, there would have been re- the same with like an orc invasion to, to where Gondor is now, like to, to the southern more the southern more realms. Mm. Um, and of course, as we know, the very closest descendants of Numenor, Arnor, mm. had their own series of invasions. Yeah. Um, yeah, and political strife and all of this stuff was, you know, seeds of dissent were sown. And then, like, you, like you're saying, there was this war that was launched and then the Witch King pulled out. Yeah, so it was a quick, you know, brutish war. Because there were, there were two parts to the Angmar, or the Arnor War, I guess you would call it. Yeah. There was this quick one where they just fought for, like, a couple months and then the Witch King just stopped. Yeah. And then there was this just, like, uncertain peace. Yeah. But Arnor was just like, all right, I guess yeah. we get away with it. In my head, that's where the Prince of Cardolan had got stabbed. Sure. Um, now, why the prince had a ring instead of the king, you know, that's just some sort of, like, political intrigue play or, like... I mean, it could have been part of that whole separating of the of the um, the kingdoms, yeah. right? Because you had yep. Arthur Dane in the north, somebody gave a ring to the prince in the south, that created further dis- and the division. the knew to split it so that Arthur yep. Dane didn't support um, Cardolan in, yep. in their struggle and they had an easier access. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, a quick... Quick invasion of Cardolan. The Witch King himself got that Morgul blade into the prince. Mm. Suddenly they pull they pull out. Two weeks later, you know they've got themselves another wraith. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool concept, and um, it's it's there's this line that's being thrown around a lot at the moment about mm. um, you know Tolkien leaving it open enough for other people to create their own narrative. Well, it's it's. Yeah, this is with, like, the, the TV show and stuff, yeah. which, you know, f- go go nuts, I say, and let's yeah. just see what happens. Because, I mean, obviously, I'm doing the same, right? Like, I understand that this isn't what Tolkien's written. Yeah. And, like, I don't say this is gospel. Yeah. I'm just going off what he's built and making my own sort of, you know, headcanon and, yeah. and, and stuff to go on. Because, like, if we're just left with what Tolkien's written... We're left with so much un- unspoken, you know? Yeah. There's just so much to go. Yeah. Um, and, like, all that Chris has written, like, there's still more, like, he's extrapolated so much and, yeah. and changed, well, not changed, but, like, you know, told us about so much more. But there's still just, like, an entire bloody it's empty world. scratching the surface. And why take what he's written as a complete Bible, you know? Yeah. I think being dogmatic about yeah. written scripture, I think that's the wrong way to go. I think so too. And, and I also think, you know, no society, culture or kingdom is a static entity. Mm. Like it evolves, right? Mm. Like, so to say that things can't change, like we have a very distinct uh, version of Rohan in our minds because mm. that was what was portrayed in the movies. But, you know, who knows what they would actually look like 200 years prior or their ancestors That's coming it. out of Ravanian um, and, and how different that could be. And I'm super, on that note, I'm super pumped for <laughs> the animated film that's oh, yeah. uh, that's Warren Rohan. Because is that Helm? Is that's that what Helm. we're doing? Helm yeah, and yeah. himself? Yeah, yeah. We get to see him punch out some <laughs> some Dunlendings. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but no, I, and I think look, even GW themselves 
that's have right. created their own that's source right. material. Well, not source material, but you know their, their own things to to well, like Gulliver or the Castellans is another one. The as Castellans, well. The, well, the the named wraiths yep. as we call them. Yeah, you know, like the Dark Marshal actually doesn't exist. No. The the Betrayer doesn't exist. None of them are, etc. They've just said, hey, look, these wraiths now have personality. Mm. And they're like sick. And it's also an interesting thing in terms... Because I remember back in the day when they first released, there was like, oh, what's this named Wraith? The Wraiths don't have names. Only three of them have names. And then one of them is actually the Dwimalake, which might be the Witch King. (laughs) 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 Uh, I mean... And and fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years later, it's it's completely accepted. Um, Completely accepted. The only difference is time. Yeah, and I think the game is definitely better for it. Like yeah. we have unique rates to build off, which is brilliant. Diversity in terms of what you can take is always going to be a benefit, I think. Yeah. So with that tangent on out that of the way, <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but I'm glad we did. Um, let's talk uh, about the proxying that you have gone with in your army, because there's actually only really two uh, straight out of the box. Um, standard uh, miniatures that you've used. Uh, so, what miniatures have you gone with to depict your army, and what are they representing? Yeah, so obviously we've mentioned the Dark Marshal is the Dark Marshal. The Black Nun Marshal is uh, Morgul Knight, mm-hmm. just painted a bit different. Um, then we have the Men of Kundum, Yep, who was sort of like the the mainstay of this list. And I've used the old metal army, of the Dead. Yep. Um, and look, they just look perfect. They're big, bulky. They're creepy looking. Mm. Um, what are they representing? Uh, they are representing model uh, profile wise black Numenorians. Yeah, cool. On foot. Makes so sense. The, I guess I should I guess I should mention this list is Mordor. Yeah. Everything is Mordor. Yeah. Then of course you heard that the Hillmen of Ruduar have joined it. They're thrown in their lot. These guys accounts as orcs, mm. but the model I'm using, which has to be one of the best models in the range, Wildmen of Dunland. Oh, such good models. Um, and I, I, just, I remember when they were released way back in the day. Yeah. Looking at them. And I just thought, I want to spend all my pocket money on these little wild boys. And I never did, but I always looked at the models. Just They just have so much character to them. They're fantastic. Each in, like, every single model has so much, yeah. exactly, character dripping off them. You go, that dude's got the scraggly hair and he's, like, yelling. And then this other dude's just, like, in a full sprint with the bloody, I don't know, well, it's two-handed weapon, but spear slash thing. Fucking yeah. Bolting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, so good, so so good, and it's like again one of those things where on screen they might have been on screen for <laughs> yeah. like ten seconds, ten maybe seconds. one scene where Saruman yells at them, and yeah, then... and they all get real fired up, but they, and the models capture that uh, that moment, that emotion so well, right? Uh, and next, this one's a pretty simple one, but I basically just made a Morgul Knight that's an army of the dead mounted. Yep. So, just a bit of a body swap there. So, he still fits in with the Men of Kandum. Yeah. So, it's still the same yeah, yeah, yeah. proxy, essentially. Yeah, He's yeah. just on a horse. Yeah. And then, lastly, the big the big one is I've got these two mountain trolls. So, just Mordor trolls. Yeah. And I'm using the... um, It's the it's called Fomerid Crusher, I believe, from the Warcry. Uh, the Games Workshop Warcry um, gaming system. So, I think they're like a neutral monster. I don't know too much about it. Sorry, all you... Warcryers out there, but he's like this neutral big monster. He's big lumbering, and when that model came out, I was just like, "Dude, this is a mountain troll." Yeah, through and through, he's big, he's bulky, and he's got this big shaggy like hide on the back. Much in the same way that, for copyright reasons, uh, Games Workshop uses <laughs> the term Oruks. 
Isn't oh. that right? For, for the Age of Sigma, they spell it slightly differently. Yep. The former Red Crusher is a troll. Like, yep. I, you look at it, it's a troll. It's a troll. So, um, 100%. And you've got two of them. Two big boys. Uh, yeah. They're a lot of fun. I guess we'll we'll get to them in a in a smidge. We'll we'll elaborate on them in a smidge. Yes, I guess. Yes, but. yeah. The the only one that we've uh, missed out on is uh, oh, of course the, the leader of the orcs. Uh, what the hillman? Thank you. Sorry, um, the leader of the <laughs> my apologies. Um, so I've got um a dude who's just like the big hill chief. Yes, because you know the the hillman profiles. Of, sorry, the orc the orc profile, which is what the hillman are, is pretty trash. Yeah, I wanted a sick. Yeah, uh, you know, Hillman do like this berserker style. Um, so if, naturally, I've used the the sculpt of Gorolf Ironskin. Yeah, such a sculpt. He looks fucking ten out of ten. Yeah, he looks so yeah. cool, and he fits in with the Wildman aesthetic. Yeah, while still being a little bit better than them. Um, and I've just chucked a shield on because he is counts as Gorbag. Ah, because okay. when Gorbag's outnumbered, that plus one attack, plus one um five value, of course, to me represents like. You know, when he's just fighting a chap, he's just like, whatever. He's real lethargic. He's like, I don't care. But as soon as he's outnumbered, he's like, yes, bring it. And just goes into, you know, He gets the thrill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's such a good model. And it fits so well with the theme that you've chosen for it as well. It's really cool. Um, Okay. So let's get into some detail here. Yeah. I want to start by talking about the uh, Black Numenorians and the Army of the Dead models because... I think there's something really lovely about painting them not as ghosts. Oh, yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. So the impetus behind this entire army was actually just like a single photo that was in a white dwarf like 20 years ago. Oh, okay. Where they've got one of the army of the deads painted as a man of Gondorm and it's... <gasps> you might know it. I yeah. Think yeah. It's true. Yeah. 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 Um, and he's just painted in like dark red. Yeah. And I was like, Dude, that's sick. So cool. When I can afford those models, <laughs> when I'm an, when I'm a big adult, <laughs> um, buy all the good toys. So I sourced down some metal army of the dead. Yeah. Because look, there's a big difference between the plastics and the metal. Yeah, uh, definitely. Unfortunately, which is just always the case though, because the metal sculpts have so much more sculptability. I think. I think the plastics are a little um, a little flat. inhibited yeah. by what they can do. Yeah. So these guys, they're they're much bulkier. They're like wider. Um, I don't think they're much taller, but it's just they've got so much more weight to them. Yeah. Um, just like vi- visually. Um, so I copy that paint scheme just a little bit, you know. I mean, it's just generic. It's just red. Um, um, red and wow. You've metal. J- you've Geordie, Geordie-fied <laughs> yes. it. There's a bit yeah. of Geordification going on here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the red is like it. It's a. It's a very. I don't know. How do, How would you describe the red? Yeah. So I. I wanted it to look. Like sickly pale, but I also wanted it to look like dark and like looming, you know. Yeah. And then you're like, how do you get both of those? Because they're like opposites. Yeah. So I made the, well, the shields and the, I guess the capes. Some of them have capes, some of them just have shirts. I made the clothing and the shield, um, the front of the shield transition. Like it yeah. fades. It's got like it's a, a gradient. A gradient, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it starts off dark. Yeah, and just uh, gradient, and it of course accelerates as you get closer to the yeah. to the end. So it's like dark for most of it, and then it goes oh, halfway, oh, halfway, and then yeah, all the way. <laughs> and so it gives it like it gives it both that that darkness, and then it also makes it look yeah like a little ghastly, I guess. Um, yeah, and and the other thing that you definitely don't get if you just paint them as ghosts 
uh, and the thing that I love about these models, like the, the models have so much character. They've got all of this tattered cloth that yeah. when you're painting them as ghosts, it doesn't really translate. Mm. But when you're painting it as cloth, then it gives you all of this awesome opportunity to make it kind of tattered and ragged. And you've really, like, you've turned it up to 11 in those areas, mm. which is awesome because it just gives them like this really worn, haggard look that I'm assuming is the, <laughs> is the goal here, right? Definitely the theme. Yeah, so you're right. So when... And it, I, I would say the same with the armor. Like yeah. you, when, it, when it's ghostly armor, psh, yeah. you're done. But when it's like... When you see the, the actual metal is metal, you'll see that there's like a plate missing here or there or mm. like, you know, the shield is just incomplete here, here or there. So it's, it's really cool because, yeah, the, the, the cloth, there's just so many different sections for it to go like they're absolutely layered up mm. which fits because they're in the frozen north but like yeah it's tattered all the way through mm. and in the ghost you don't see it but because you have to point it out well you don't have to but you paint to point those things out yeah it becomes so much more obvious that there's so much more going on to these models that you just don't get to see when mm. they're you know a vibrant green and i suppose uh Putting them side by side with the Dunlending Wildman models, yeah. they actually read as part of the same army because the Dunlending Wildmen, uh, who are proxying as orcs, obviously, um, they have that real kind of haggard look, but they don't have the heavy armor yeah. aspect to it. So it, I think it you're really right, ties I in. Think you're right, yeah. Right? Like they, they look so cohesive, even though they have nothing to do with one another in terms of... Literally two models from two different armies, you yeah, know, and yeah. bring them together. Yeah, and, and stylistically, um, they look exactly the same, like, even though they're from two completely different armies. Yeah, and I guess that's a good transition point, because the, the Wildmen are, are very similar, right? They're, they're very characterful as well, but, like, in a whole different way. Mm. The... The the black the men of Kandum are so like ragged and gaunt and like gaunt and like scary and like defeated I guess you would say like they look mm. like they're already defeated mm. the Hillmen they're no they're the, they're like we're ragged and we're bloody ready to go yeah um, up for it and I it gives a good juxtaposition of the the size as well because you chuck these Hillmen who are like pretty thin against those black Numenorians and they make them look bigger. Yeah, um, definitely. Which I love that effect because you want the black Numenorians to appear, you know, scary. And yeah. how can it be imposing. scary if he's twice your size? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. They are wide. They are very wide. That's it's really cool. So I think we've covered off kind of the, the, the main uh, troops yep. of the army. Um, but let's talk a little bit more detail about... Um, your trolls, because they are big centerpieces. Yeah, absolute centerpiece models, which I love when I do get to have a centerpiece. Because, um, you know, Gond like some armies don't have it. You know, Gondor, you just don't get one. Mm. But a lot of evil armies get it. And I love being able to put effort into a model and know that it's going to come through. Yep. Like, obviously, tons of effort went into those black numbs. They're not going to get overlooked per se. But no one's going to pick up every single black numb and go, well, what's going on here? But the trolls, you know people are going to look at. Mm. Um, so, of course, I was using the Fomerid Crusher for these trolls. Um, for those who know the model, it's actually like a Cyclopean model. So oh, it's okay. meant to be a Cyclops. Yeah, right. Um, which look not so far-fetched to exist, like a troll with one eye in Middle-earth, whatever. That's believable. Yeah. But I, I didn't want to, like, push that limit, you know. Yeah. I'm already pushing a bunch of scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, I did a lot of... Plastic surgery on these guys' face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so it involved, you know, cutting off the, you know, the eye and then shifting it to the side. But you go, well, that's a bit weird. First of all, it's like a weird looking eye because it's supposed to be center and it's big. And um, so shifting that to the side was already a bit <laughs> iffy. But to cover it up, I, I thought I, I thought I did right. So I just gave them, you know, like a bandage essentially over the other yeah. to, to just be, you know, this, this particular troll has been, you know, speared in the eye or. So did you reuse the eye that was on there? Correct. Oh, wow. That, yeah. Like you describing it, it, it actually looks much more natural than Geordie is giving himself credit <laughs> for you. It actually looks really, really good. And I think because you've, I'm assuming you've cut it off and then kind of angled it. And rotated it. just Rotated that little bit. Yep. it. It actually adds a lot of expression to the eye, which yeah. I think wouldn't be there if you had have just kind of kept it as it was oriented before. Yeah. And it looks like spot on. Because the other thing about these models, for those that haven't had a close look uh, at the models themselves, I think the base models come with a lot of kind of cuts and lacerations That's on correct, them. yeah. There's a few on the stomach. A couple of those will be painted on. Yeah. Um, which... I guess I've already alluded to the battle damage of the eye. Yeah, the the cuts all across the body. You go this this you know this lad's seen a few few scraps. Yeah, you know whether it's with another troll, whether yeah. it's some wild wags, or whether it's just fighting some rangers. You know. Yeah. Did you have to do any other kind of plastic surgery? I'm assuming there were some other kind of Age of Sigmari kind of. Yeah. Uh, good question. There was there was a few of those like eight sided stars or is it oh, seven? Right. I yeah. can't recall. Yeah. Um, so I would scratch those away. I think there's like a chaos helmet on there with like the insignia. So right. I'd scratch it away. Look, you wouldn't notice it, yeah. but it's one of those things that of course I would know it's there. Yeah. So it's like the Rohan horse on the back of your corsair that's shield. Right. Kind of, a- you know, you can you can not see it all you want, but every time I pick it up, I would see it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I scratch away a bunch of stars and and stuff like that. But yeah, there wasn't too much work outside of the face yet. Awesome. So we've talked quite a bit about the kind of the red cloth um, of the main line units that you've got in the army, but these guys don't have so much red on them. Yeah, there's a few dribs and drabs of red on like their their undercloth and their little loincloth thing to just tie it in. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There's um, I wanted first of all to give it like a natural sort of mountain slash frost troll look. So we've gone with that you know blue skin. So like color wise, it adds a contrast to the red. Yeah. Like the red isn't as warm as it can be, but it's still like a warm color tone. And then mm. blue, obviously, just generally cool. Um, so it gives a little play there, but you know, and it, it, it makes it like more naturalistic. Because mm. um, of course, you know, trolls are representing of stone, whereas these guys could be from like these mountainous stones. You know, mm. Mm. not literally, but you know, figuratively. Mm. Um, yeah. Whilst we're talking about stones, these guys seem to favor stones as their favorite <laughs> weapon. Yeah. The Obviously, the original sculpts were, like, wielding... I think they can, like, throw... Again, this is... I shouldn't dabble in Warcry, and I have no idea, but I think they can, like, throw terrain. Oh, right. They can, like, grab a nearby building and just chuck it. Yeah, nice. So, they're all, like, wielding these stones. Yeah. And I thought, well, look, let's lean into what the model's got. Um, And, of course, trolls do technically have throw stones. They do. It's garbage, but they've got it. (laughs) Um, So, given that we're in Kandum, I wanted to you know, show that on these two models because these two models are, are wielding like part of a fortress. Yeah. Um, so I painted the the stones red, but of course I didn't want it to just look like they're, you know, wielding the same colour of everyone else's robes because that just doesn't 
It feels weird. It's a bit weird. It starts to get into kind of uh, Warcraft 3 territory, right? Where everyone's (laughs) just a little bit too color coordinated. And no, it's a really interesting point. So you've added, uh, did you start with the same base color or was it a separate base color and you've added different highlights to it? Yeah. So same base color. Like I think these guys were just black with like, I think it's corn red. Yeah. Heavily desaturated through black. Yeah. This was the same, so heavily desaturated through black. But then when I was building it up, I was adding, I believe, like yellows and creams uh, instead of blacks and whites. Yeah. To okay. keep, like, because in the, in the, as you'll see in the Men of Kandum, it, it stays desaturated and it yeah. gets more and more as it goes. Yeah. Whereas this, as it gets higher and higher, it kind of gets like more color to yeah. it. Yeah. So it's starting from the same color so that it blends, mm. but it obviously transitions heavily away from it. And into the, like, it, it just makes it this cool, like, it's not like a natural-ish looking stone, but of course, like first age craftsmanship, some weird stuff can happen. Yeah. So the, uh, the head cannon again is, well, can we know that Kandum, I think it translates to red fort or something, right? Yeah. Li- the direct translation. So, um, kind of cool that they're ripping off hunks and going to town with them. Yeah, kind of thing. whacking people with them. It's an interesting thing. I want to touch on that technique of painting because I think it's quite different to the standard approach or, or at least for people that are starting out painting in the hobby. I think, and I, I've kind of fallen victim to this uh, myself where you go into a store, they've got a paint range oh, yeah, of like, yeah. you know, 60 paints and, you know, G-Dub especially is like, okay, well you buy this base paint and then you do the highlight paint, this color. you do this wash yeah. and then you finish it off with this other color and you, you're buying all these paints, which is, you know, great for GW, but yeah, not so great for I your wallet, right? Definitely, I definitely started like that. Yep. I don't want to say full victim because it's just, they're making painting easier. True. But true. I definitely started like that. That was my headspace is this color and then this color and then this color yeah. and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas what you're describing with these guys is you basically start with one base paint that you then manipulate yep. in the way that you want to create uh, shadows, highlights, desaturation, intense, intensifying the hue, like we're talking about with the stones, like you you have the same base paint. Like I find that really fascinating, starting with the same base paint, but finishing with a fundamentally different color to um, the cloth. Yeah. Like that's really cool. And, and it's something that I'm only just starting to kind of figure out for myself as a way of painting. And I think the next army that I'm going to paint, because I was at the Ooh, hobby shop the yeah. other day, right? And I was like, oh, that's like a really nice blue to highlight from the base blue that I'm thinking right. about. I was like, mm, wait a minute. What would Geordie do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, no, I actually want to try um, and uh, play around with just having one paint that I can try and manipulate in terms of the hue, saturation, um, and uh, ultimately kind of the, the end finish, like you've described, with adding in that black because that's the key thing right yeah when we're talking about desaturating paint it's not just about adding in the white to highlight up um the thing that i was never really aware of until i started talking to you about how you paint is it's that first step of adding in black to to you know tone the the paint down before you start highlighting back up right yeah so the the black you know takes away the pigment like well Mm. yeah it blocks off like 
half the pigment because I normally do 50-50. So half the pigment goes, so now it's half as vibrant as it was before. Yeah. And then you add in the white, and of course it decreases more and more. Yeah. Whilst you're, getting brighter, you're, you're, the hue still goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're increasing the contrast whilst decreasing the saturation. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll point out, like, my, my painting style is very unique, and this is not a, a, a guide... <laughs> But look, if, you, if you're interested in this style, I think it's really cool. Uh, I've developed it and I do it, so it must. I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think it's, um, it's just a different way of thinking about painting, which I find quite exciting. Like, I would never be able to paint in your style because I have my own kind of, uh, my own way of painting. But yeah. there are certain techniques that I can incorporate into my own style. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so you know, putting our miniatures side by side, there's there's never going to be any doubt who which <laughs> which one's painted by Geordie and which one's painted by me. But that's not to say that we can't learn from each other's kind of um, techniques and and processes. So for anyone out there that wants to give it a shot, um, you know, dive in the deep end. Have a look at uh, the photos on the Instagram of of Geordie's, um miniatures so that you can kind of see what we're talking about and then you know if it's something you want to explore um go for it uh, and i'll heavily advise get a wet palette couldn't agree more but let's get back to the army at hand now we were talking about the trolls um is there anything else that we need to talk about them before we move on no you already mentioned like they've got cuts and grazers yeah their their arms are like covered in bandages so that's yeah. a nice like um spot of difference in color because i think they're the only model in the army mm. with this like creamish white um which is cool but other than that more or less covered so let's move on to the heroes yeah uh where do you want to start well look, let's go with the the hill chief i guess first because yep. he's the the smallest points and and model wise he was nice and easy like good this is like this is where forge world just like does all the work it's such a nice model to yeah. paint they've modeled in detail look I, i'll always like to build on top of it but I think for models like this, you just don't need to. No. If uh, for all those you know who who were lucky enough to have Forge World nearby or, or have ordered in some from from internationally, oh, they're just amazing to paint. It's it's something different. The thing I I love about them, you you mentioned it there that they do have a lot of detail, but they're not over detailed. You mm. know, you can see some of these. Um, uh, models from other game systems that uh, just have so much detail on them and it's yeah. just relentless. It becomes like a labour to paint yeah, each different yeah. bit. Um, whereas here, it's it's a really balanced composition of detail to flat. Like the skin, he's got a lot of exposed skin, which is a pretty flat area, but then around his waist, like there's a lot going on with belts and knives yeah. and straps and it's really cool because it gives you that kind of that contrast to 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 work off. Um, so he is in kind of the the same scheme as the rest of your um, the hillman. Yeah. So he's got that red that the hillman have. I think he's got like the oh, I don't know what's called. Like it's like it's covering his legs. I just painted that black where the, I don't think the hillman have that luxury. Um, and then his pants are well the same color, but of course he's rocking two sick axes. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll point out here that the gradient that I painted into the the, the men of Kandum, I realized looks sick. <laughs> um, so I, I followed that up with the wood as well, 
and found that that worked quite well too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Look, it doesn't look like wood does, but it's this artistic version of what Stylized. the wood looks like. And yeah. Yeah, I thought it played really well. So, And it's exemplified on, on the hill chief here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a couple of shields around the place and some that you've uh, kind of painted the, the red... Uh, where it's kind of it's been painted but it's wearing away and then others that just have the straight timber and, and have that kind of gradient it's really cool so that's the first hero down second hero uh, the next two are on horses which one shall we go to next look let's go the 2YC the second in charge yeah I've got the Knight of Kandum that's it um, and I guess like we mentioned with the the building up of the red with the trolls stones it's the same thing here yeah um, the Knight of Kandum I wanted in like this, you know, cool, slick red armor. Yeah. Um, to, is, it, is it kind of that, um, uh, enameled red? Like, yes. Like they've yeah. come along and like painted it. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's definitely, you know, supposed to be metal. Yeah. But like they've gone and like glossed it up and made it just look like as sleek red as they could. Yeah. Polished um, my armor boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sort of contrasting the rest of the army, this guy's like color transition, like it's non-existent because he's meant to be clean. Mm. You know, the rest of the army, they're gross, they're they're sickly. The Knight of Kandum, he's polished. He's yep. ready to go at all times. Yeah. Um, so, of course, that, that red was the sort of built up similarly. Mm. I just took less desaturation and then I did make a darker layer, but then I started, I believe, from like the regular red. Yeah. And then built that up so it didn't have like 50% color cut off. Yeah, yeah. And then I built it up with creams instead of white. Yeah. Because okay. the, the creams tend to not desaturate, but they they allow it to keep its color. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why he's got like actual bright reds. Yeah. Like as in hue-wise bright reds. Um, and to, to sort of follow up that like, you know, he's super clean aspect. I gave him like white cloth mm. um, instead of, you know, everyone else's like dirty blacks and and gross you know reds so that way like it represents like no matter how dirty everyone else is you know this is how polished this guy is mm, that mm. he's he's uh, cocky enough to to walk around in white i really like the description that you've given him around um how you have manipulated the paint in a way to tell the story as well Mm. Um, that's something that is always true in your armies where, you know, it's not just slap some paint on it because it looks nice. There's actually thought behind what the character, like the backstory mm. and why, why things are painted the way they are. So on that note, let's talk about the Prince of Cardolan, uh, himself leader, um, the Dark Marshal. Yeah. The Prince of Cardolan 2.0, new and improved. Um, <laughs> now, now with Morgul Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sort of, uh, once again, I wanted to display that this model is spotless. Mm. And so I did that through his armor. Yeah. Um, cause of course the Nazgul, they always, the, the look of them is just, they're mono black. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it looks cool and I still wanted to represent that part of it, but the, the Duck Marshal and I'm sure some of you will agree out here. I think he's my favorite named Nazgul sculpt. Because he's so badass looking. Like I'd have to, I, I can't agree with you on this, George. Okay. Sorry. Okay. The best named Ringwraith model is the Tainted. Oh, wow. All right. Because <laughs> that's the one Wraith that's like book version yes. for my money. He's got that 
that scenic shot of that wraith yeah. on that hill hunched over. Yeah. Okay. But sorry, so okay. sorry to take the, the wind out of your sails. The Dark Marshal is a very close second. If we're showing armor, then yes. <laughs> yes, this guy is the best, right, for right. sure. Yeah, so we'll we'll the tainted debate aside, we'll have that off. We'll have that <laughs> off air because that'll get dirty. Um yeah, the Dark Marshal, I think he just looks so spectacular. Like it's got that like Similar to the, you know, what the Castellans are supposed to be. It's like this suit of armor that's empty. You know, there's yeah. nothing in there. It yeah. just looks, ugh. It just has so much, like, effect to it. With this, you know, there's massive suited dudes walking towards you. And then you peer through there and there's just nothing. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I painted his armor, like, shining white. So, where everyone else's armor is, like, four or five layers upwards into, like, gray. I did him up to like, you know, nine or 10 layers and, and just let the white show through, you know, to represent that he is just spick and speck. But then in order to still get that Nazgul effect, um, you know, every part of every other part of him is just deep dark. Mm. Um, the, the blacks is highlighted mildly with blues, mm. but not enough that it detracts from being black, you know? Um, and of course the horsey himself is, is painted as dark as he can be as well. Yeah, it's all about providing that contrast within the model itself, right? Mm, mm. And I think that's really successful. And uh, I think, you know, if listeners haven't figured it out already, um, Geordie exclusively paints in uh, non-metallic <laughs> non metal. So, hence why, um, you know, we're, we're talking about um, that, that um, level of detail there. Now, there's only one thing that I think we've missed. Yes. And by one, I mean two. Um, <laughs> there's two banner bearers here, but are there two banners in the actual list? Yeah, I mean, this is a good point to bring up. Um, because the Duck Marshal's a banner, he's a six inch banner when he wants to be. Mm. Um, there's no need for two banners. I think most 650s can do well with two banners, but I don't need it. So there's actually just the one banner in the list, um, held initially by a Black Numenorian. Mm. Um, we've already talked like proxy etiquette, and I think. As well as being a hobby opportunity, I think this was a proxy etiquette um, design uh, here. So, the Black Numenorians are like 90% of the time being supported by an orc. So, the most likely banner transfer is going to be Black Numenorian to one of the Hillmen. Yep. Um, knowing that that was the case, I didn't want for there to be a moment where, you know, my Hillman supported this Black Nun with a banner, banner carks it, and then the Hillman picks it up. And I'm forced to use a Black Numenorean model. Because, yeah. first of all, confusing for my opponent, because the profiles are vastly different. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, secondly, I, it would irk me to have an orc running around disguised as a Black Numenorean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, in the in the list that I've built, and I'll be bringing to the tournament, I've brought along one of the Hillmen carrying a banner as well. Mm. So that when the, uh, the eventual transfer, which is almost certainly going to happen, um, happens, I'll be able to pass that right along. Mm -hmm. You know, an orc mm -hmm. can pick it up and we can go from there. Um, we didn't just miss one or two things, Albert. You're, you're wrong here because there's something else missing. Ooh. We haven't talked about the bases. So it's this like rocky sort of outcrop. So I'm expecting they've mar just marched out of Kandum and they're still crossing like this barren, mm. not very pleasant, you know, segment of like rocky mountain areas. But I actually didn't make these guys, did I? No. I had some help from a friend. Yeah, phone a friend. So, um, actually started when you sent me, I think you were hiking somewhere. 
Um, yeah, up in the Grampians. Which yeah, is, yeah. For, the, for those not in Australia, just North Victoria. I guess you probably don't know what Victoria is. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. So, yeah, uh, you, you were off hiking. They And you sent me this photo. Um, I think they're, it's like an old volcanic uh, yeah, mountain Yeah, kind of looked like it, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, it's this kind of pockmarked um, rock face... Uh, and it had this really distinct kind of coloring to it. Like it had a really beautiful range of different colors. Yeah. So like most of the mountain was this like orangey red. Yeah. Uh, and there were pops of like this grayish uh, area as well. But this particular like segment of rock, which is what drew me to it. First of all, it was like standing like upwards and it was sort of like spiking out. And I was yeah. like, that's cool first yeah. of all. But yeah, it had this bluish green yeah. all across it. It just looks so interesting. Yeah, it's beautiful contrast. Um, and so I immediately saw that and, th- and you're like, hey, can you make <laughs> can you make this? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I thought, yeah, I can probably replicate something similar uh, using a cork bark, not mm. cork bark, the cork sheeting, right? And you kind of, tear it up and rip it up and it makes this kind of jaggedy um rugged rock face um but we were talking about it and um when you go to paint cork um sometimes the yeah, paint can behave yeah. a bit weird because it's a natural material yeah. and it kind of absorbs the anything paint. that's like sort of woodish the yeah you're right the paint just sort of soaks it in yeah it doesn't quite apply that well and and so sometimes you don't get the the like the contrast does isn't right because the I don't know what happens but it kind of absorbs some of that uh, the saturation or the the vibrancy um, goes from the paint job so you're like hey can you do that but can you make them out of resin <laughs> and then resin cast it <laughs> so not asking for much no, honestly no no, no. Um, and and I, look I was happy to do it because it was a fun little experiment so made them all out of uh, cork bark I think I ended up doing like kind of ten unique yeah. twenty five mils and then a few unique uh, 40 mils and um, one of the 60 mils as well for the for the big boys. Um, cast them up in silicon uh, or molded them up in silicon and then cast them all in resin. Um, I think they turned out pretty good. Oh, mate, they're bloody brilliant. They're really cool. And you mentioned that you did sort of multiple ones. That let me make every pose... Sorry, it made every base still look fresh. Yeah. Because there was so much variation and then you just sort of rotate it you know yeah, so one yeah. of it it's the same pose but it's face forward yeah and then one of it's the same sort of pose for the rock i should say but it's facing backwards yeah Bam. and it also um the, i think there was enough change in height levels that uh, allowed you to kind of pose some of the models that are that are kind of striding forward to um, have them almost like climbing the, mm, the mm. rocks. So again, yeah, you've got this subtle difference and variation in height, which helps to make them feel all a bit unique as well. And I guess we mentioned, you know, the photo that I sent you, the, the rocks at the Grampians. I, seeing that like bluish color fade through rock, I was like, dude, that's sick. I've got to try and emulate that. Mm. So I decided to just put that on the bases um, and just full contrast it because it was it was visible in this like orange amongst the orange and browns, mm. but it it didn't quite pop out. Mm. Um, and the test base that I actually did for this, I painted brown first because I tried to get it as sort of close to that picture as possible. But it was the same sort of thing that the greenish blue just didn't quite show through. Yeah. Um, and so of course, dear listeners, you'll see that it's more like a grey. Yeah. Um, that was just like a you know a stylistic choice to let that green do the talking. Um, 
I think it's one of those things where when you scale things down, sometimes it doesn't translate and therefore mm. you have to kind of turn things up or turn other things down to make it That's stylistically it, read, right? Because it's so much um, smaller, the mm. greens get drowned out. Yep. Whereas on that rock, the green was like, you know, 10 to 20 centimetres thick so you could see it. Yeah. But on my bases, it would be, you know, two centimetres and it yeah, just yeah, gets yeah. eaten up. Yeah. Um, but no, you're, I think the, the bases are kind of like one of my favourite things about this army. Oh, awesome. Because it's, they're striking and they're, they're bloody like consistently good, mm. I, I would say. And that's a testament to the sculpt and I guess the colour decision, but I, th- I think the sculpt more so. Well, look, uh, let's say it was a, it was a team effort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Okay, so I think we've, we've covered the army in full detail. The only thing that's left is to uh, pack these models up and send you on your way. Yeah, let's get them on the table. So it begins. G'day guys, Geordie at the end of round one here and I'm with my partner Al. Um, Al, you have a pretty sweet uh, Kazadum list. Yeah, Kazadum's been an army I've been playing for years. They're probably one of my favourite armies. I've painted them up all in uh, silver armour. Yeah, yeah. And I've painted the cloth like a kind of drab blue. Yeah, it's, it has this like greyish, bluish sort of look. Yeah, that's but it, right. it lets the silver blue. really shine through. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, and is there anything sort of unique you've done as far as like the fourth age and lent into anything like that? So my theme is dwarves from the Blue Mountains. I've actually taken no named characters, so it's all my own theme. I've got a dwarf king whose name is Score, and he's the Score, he's sick. the leader, and his son is the king's champion whose name is Tall Grimbeard. Nice. Um, yeah, that's wicked. So leaning out of named characters, that fits the theme really well. And I like what you've done, how the king's champ is his son. That's pretty sick. Yeah, that's right. I always liked the idea of like the dwarven family lineage. You see it a bit in The Hobbit. Um, so I thought it would be a great idea to have like a father and son combo. Now, nah, wicked. And I just want to like lean into the Khazard. So the army you had, you had heaps of Khazard guard. Um, I want to lean into their masks just look so good and you just sort of went slightly brighter on their masks or at least maybe it just shows through a bit better. Yeah, I definitely try to hit it with the brightest silver highlights on, yeah, typically the masks just so it does stand out. Yeah. You go for even, it's all about the contrast, so even getting those dark colours in the recesses. Yeah. So then you really get that contrast and you can read it from across the battlefield. Yeah. But they're really nice sculpts, those models. I love them. Yeah, you let the model do the work. And, yep. and I, I definitely noticed it because they're oh, the, all the Khazards just look so sick. Um, so I guess with that out of the way, we'll jump into the game. This was, there's a, there were a few things like special rules wise going on that I guess I'll point out. So I was actually defending as far as the narrative goes and your dwarves were coming to invade my lands. Um, and so what that meant was I got a defender bonus which actually came huge into play. So my defender bonus was my entire army, including the trolls, had Stalk Unseen. Um, so with that, you had your big line of dwarves. I had my trolls and black numbs. Um, how did it all go from there? Um, it was a fun game. I honestly had heaps of fun, but straight off the bat, it meant I couldn't really shoot, which means I couldn't soften you up yeah. when the lines clashed. So I just had to march forward as well. And that ended up being clutch because that was... One of my key weaknesses is no range, but I just got to basically play without a weakness for, for a game. Um, 
so yeah, the dwarves had to march up. I met you in the middle, and then we had some some pretty key moments. I got a compel turn one into a big heroic combat, but the sort of on aftermath of that, we didn't get ma many kills. We just got like what three dwarves, I think. It was a yeah, it was a slow killing game in general. Um, but yeah, that first turn you managed to get three dwarves. I was outnumbering you, so I wasn't too fussed at that stage. But it definitely forced the lines to uh, engage and yeah. really dictated where the where the game was played. Yeah, that's it. And it left my marshal and uh, knight of Kandum in pretty open spots with a bunch of kazas ready to charge. And you got that roll off. Uh, how did that go? I tried to capitalise on the fact that I did win priority and then won the heroic roll-off. Yeah, yeah. But I really poured too much resources into trying to get the charges yes, I wanted. this was that, pretty key, yeah. That hurt me later in the game because I was spending will on my leader yeah. to pass courage checks. So you charged the uh, Knight of Kandum and you rolled, what, a three, I think? So you had to spend all your will, or both your will, rather, to get the charge. That's right, yeah, probably not the smartest play on my end, but I yeah. was also prepared to play a pretty aggressive style. In yeah, the I think style, so, yeah. Like, getting the game going. Yeah, so. killing, killing that knight opened up so much space, so it, it, was definitely, it was definitely not crazy to do, but it was just risky, I guess. Yeah, it was risky and it didn't pay off. Yeah, and so then a few fluffed combats, that was, yeah, basically the game in a nutshell was we would win combats and no one would wound which is normal for against rather it's for the dwarves but you were also not wounding me that's right if i really could have like got some early kills i would have been able to dictate the flow of the combats a little bit easier with my superior numbers yeah and so even you were just wounding me on fives but it was fours all that all the all game through yeah i just wasn't getting them where i really should have been um managed to get a few kills but not enough to break you which yeah. is unfortunate yeah and so we got your we got your king which turned off all your um your kazards as far as fearless goes yeah death of the king hurt me because then i really couldn't throw my kazard guards into all your terror causing models yeah and the terror was you were still courage three so it was like 50 50s but that i'll take that every day of the week yeah i was failing a few passing a few but you know not passing as many as i needed yeah and every one you fail it's you know 10 points out of the out of the combat um, and there was a big grind from there, but it ended up, no, neither of us broke, uh, and I just wounded the leader, so it sort of came off of that. Yeah, that's right. No breaks. We both kept our banners intact. The leader death hurt me, lost me the game, yeah. but in the last turn, it was really nice to get a moral victory and one yeah, shot that's the, right. uh, Mordor troll. My, I foolishly trapped my own troll with some, with some black numbs behind him, and yeah, the king's chant went in, struck up. And uh, how many wounds you get? You got three exactsies, I think. Got three exactly. Two from the king's champ, and he had a mate in in there with him. Little archer boy pulling his weight. Well, brilliant. Thanks for that, Al. Good game. No worries. Thanks for the game. Hey, um, round one of Silmarilly 2022. I'm with Chiram. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, um, Chiram. Can you tell me a little bit about your army? Uh, so I took uh, the Kingdom of Moria. So I had Balin with six Hearthguard, uh, six Kazad guard and six Iron Guard. Mm -hmm. Then I had the King's Champion with seven Warriors with Shield, and the Shield Bearer with a Vault Warden team and four Rangers, two with Throwing Axes, two with uh, Dwarf Longbows, yep. and a Dwarf Ballista. Yeah, it was a really nice list. Um, we had an awesome thematic matchup on the 21st Hall Moria table. So I had Balan's Tomb and all that. 
Um, and of course, I was taking the, the Balrog um, to Black Shield Shamans, who have the Shatter and Tremor spells, a Captain, and just some Horde Goblins. Um, so it was so much fun to see all that on the table. Got some good photos. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your deployment and what thoughts you had uh, going into this scenario, which I should mention is capture and control. Yeah, so uh, the, the main thing was I was very scared of the Balrog. Mm. So I started, I placed the King's Champion first. I tucked him behind a wall, uh, just to make sure that he wouldn't get uh, taken by the Balrog straight away. Um, and then uh, I, I want to make sure whenever I've got the chance that I put my shield bearer near Balin. Yep. So that meant that I had to keep those armies together as the, the bulk of it mm. and managed to spread the Khazad Guard and Iron Guard out a bit from the King's Champion and the Warriors, which uh, kind of got me moving in on two flanks, maybe got a bit of hammer and anvil. Yeah. Um, so if it had gone on a bit longer, they could have met up in the middle, but um, yeah, for sure. well. Was it random game length end, or was it 25%? Um, I can't remember now. I think it's on a roll of a 1-2 after breaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we did run out of time, so we didn't actually get to the natural conclusion. True. Yeah, so if we would have kept going, I reckon it would have potentially swung in your favour. It's hard to tell with the Balrog. Yeah. You were starting to gain the numbers. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. Um, you're a top sport, mate. Can you tell us what happened with the Ballista and the, <laughs> and the Goblins? Yes, well, it's the... It was the first game after a lot of friendly games where I was trying to help out a lot of people. So my, uh, my brain was very much in let's help people out mode. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I noticed that you had done some movement mm. that all I'd need to do is move one Dwarf Warrior and I could have got a shot with my Ballista off against maybe five or six Goblins if it had got a nice throwback. So yeah. I pointed it out to you and uh, changed a bit Did of your movement. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if you would have rolled that six, that would have been pretty nasty for me. Because it was a choke point um, that if I held, I kind of kept you off one of those objective markers. Yeah. We'll talk about some other highlights. Um, so, yeah, you had your warband with the um, uh, King's Champion and the Heralds kind of on one flank. Um, you held that objective really strongly and then were pushing to the middle and my back objective. Um, I was struggling to hold you there kind of just held you between two terrain pieces. Yeah. King's Champion had some really unlucky rolls. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, he kind of failed to kill quite a few times, which I was surprised with. Yeah, yeah. And um, he didn't even give me the ones. It was just the twos and the threes. Cause yeah, the, the you couldn't read all the ones. all the ones yeah. in combat. That um, came in handy elsewhere, but not yeah, with him. Yeah, it not definitely did yeah. in other areas. Um, and uh, it, it kind of helped me a bit how you shattered my two banners. Because it, it meant that um, <laughs> two fights where I would have been minus one on the dual roll, I yeah. no longer had the banner, and I ended up uh, winning the fight. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I was still happy that I shattered both the Herald's banners, despite their will, because at least then the King's Champion wasn't getting re-rolled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was funny how they performed <laughs> so well after that. Yeah. Um, in other highlights, um, you surrounded... The bower, or you didn't even surround. It wasn't a trap. You just no. got you got a uh, Balin, this this epic vault warden team, and your shield bearer on the Balrog, and you took like four or five wounds off the thing. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was so yeah, cool. It was, it was crazy. The Durin's axe plus one to wound, yep. and the foe spear plus one to wound against monsters. Um, the three of them just did really well. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it just meant I got. Uh, 
a lot more rain. It is. It's a good matchup against the um, against the Balrog. It's pretty rare you see that many wounds kind of get clipped off, and it's pretty like usually people just avoid it. But obviously, it's, can't really do that with dwarves. Um, so yeah, that was really cool to see. Um, it was a super tight game and such an enjoyable start to the tournament. Um, ended up that you had your back objective and the one on the flank behind the King's Champion secured. And I held the other three. And then, I don't even... Did you break? Uh, I believe that I, I did. Yeah, so we both broke, I think. Um, and I got a wound... We both got wounds on our leaders. Because I got wound on yes. Balan, so you got wounds on... I think you didn't break. Because right. That, that was the, the one extra... Um, extra V... No, sorry. Um, I didn't break. You broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Yep. Um, yeah, I got the one VP for the wounds on the Balrog and one yep. for breaking you, mm -hmm. uh, which would have brought it up to 6-6 six, six if you hadn't have wounded Balin in the, yeah, that's in right. the latter game. Yeah, so it ended up being 7-6, swinging my way. Um, but yeah, it could have really gone anyway. It was, it was a tight game. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, yeah, and I hope we match up again. Yeah, it was great fun. Thank you very much. No worries. Cheers. So round one of the Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Before oh we God. get into the actual round, there's, there's probably a few things that we need to, to cover off. Uh, first of all, you would have heard the dulcet tones of our Melbourne... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> correspondent. Melbourne correspondent. I feel like if Jane, uh, if Jim doesn't get like his own spin-off podcast called the Melbourne, the Melbourne correspondent, correspondent. <laughs> then there will be no justice in the world. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> that, that aside, Jordy, did you want to talk about your team? Because Jim, Jim was on your team, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I was. Yeah, I was going to lean into that. So. I guess, look, welcome everyone in the podcast. You are now, you know, uh, officially a part of the remnants of Mordor. Um, you can go through the highs and lows alongside me and Jim. Um, look, if you want to be a free people, like I won't judge. But remnants of Mordor all the way, baby. Um, and so as part of remnants of Mordor, your teammates, uh, myself, of course, Jim Keller, as you've heard. We also had Chris Cousins. James Bennett, uh, Jonathan, uh, Thomas Bowman, renowned painter. I think I've mentioned him a few times. Yeah. Ken Gifford, the Weather Pig Callum, uh, and Aaron Suster. Um, strong lineup overall. Good team, yo team. L dear listeners, you've definitely chosen a good team to be on. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've established a team, but uh, tell me, Geordie, uh, we've we've heard a from yourself in your interview mm -hmm. we've heard from jim in his interview but how did the mm -hmm. team as a whole fare in this round look round one was good for us um as you heard i had the win and jim had the win um we had of our nine players five wins four losses that's pretty good that's pretty good you yeah. take that round yeah. one i'm looking at some uh online stats this is a perfect time to um just uh, again further reinforce for the listener the the beauty of this mm. tournament so after each round um tim would put up a a, a map which tracked yep. all of the different regions 
because each region was like its own uh, table, yeah. right? And uh, different armies were fighting over them and it had like a, a live update as to who was holding what regions, which is so cool. Well, this is big actually. And I think, look, rather than rehash the battles, the battles were cool here. But I think for this one, I really want to point out each round you were assigned attacker or defender. Mm. And if you were defending, it was, you know, you were assigned in one of your team's controlled zones. Right. And if you lost, that zone was capitulated to the team that beat you. Right. So, and then, of course, you know, half your team was defending and half your team was attacking. So then the attackers would be able to leech off of the the other realms. Yeah, right. Um, So it was really interesting. You know, I think in round one, I think I was the defender. Mm. It was really interesting being like, oh, I don't want to lose. You know, what did we, what were we finding? It was like um, the wilds of Arna or something. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't want to lose this section. Yeah, I don't want to lose yeah. it. Come on. Yeah. I got to, I got to save it for my boys uh, while they were off, you know, gallivanting and attacking everyone. Um, and then I guess we should jump into like, there was so many special rules table to table here. Right. And so, were the special rules specific to the table you were playing on? Exactly. Yeah, cool. So, each of the boards was a, like I described, like a, a section of Middle Earth. Yeah. And given that, Tim and Josh um, put like a, a special rule down depending on that. So, round one, I was fighting over some Arnold Ruins. Very thematic for my list. Very happy to be here. In the Arnold Ruins, the Defender gained Stalk Unseen... Huge, I know. Whoa. Whilst um, obscured by terrain, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, um, which was a massive bonus. That's amazing. I think I mentioned it in the interview that it just it was it was like it meant that I just couldn't get shot down on the way yeah. through because I've got zero bows. And Al had a uh, did he have a ballista in his list? No ballista, but he had like nine dwarf warriors or something like that. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Look, not okay. Ma- look crazy shooting, but still but shooting nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and, and strength three to, shooting too. Right. I got to dodge it. Yeah. Mm. Um. And so each of the different boards would have something like that. Um, so there was, yeah, like Stork Unseen. One of them was like, you know, bloody, your, your heroes have a 12-inch standfast or whatever. Well, yeah, okay. Like that. okay. But they would have a special rule specific yeah. to the terrain. And, yeah. of course, this was like dense, thick forest and, you know, ruins scattered about it. You know, this is where the defenders have the key advantage because this is mm. the territory that they mm. know. And they've been, you know, walking yeah, in these sure. forests for a little while. Sure. Um, I suppose, again, just to kind of reiterate, these kind of bonuses are such dynamic changes in the way that a game is played. Again, it reinforces the fact that this is not a competitive driven tournament. But mm. you're there because the tables, A, look amazing, right? Yes. Like yeah. the terrain is all, I would say, the absolute premium, right? In, yeah. To to um, to be able to have tables that um, go all the way from Arnor down to you know the deep south of Harad, mm. uh, that's amazing, right? Well, and it was it was the the tables were vastly different too. Yeah. So yeah, and I, that like as we know, terrain changes the game. It's a huge part of the game. So despite like just fighting with different bonuses too, you're fighting on a different landscape. Yeah. Like the Arnold Ruins was clad in forest, like absolutely clad in it, which, you know, I used to good effect against the slow dwarves. Yeah, I would yeah, just yeah. bunker up in choke points and they would have to like take three turns to walk around me. But were we to be fighting in like Harad, that would be like five line of sight blocking buildings that are chunky and that's it. Yep. Um, 
So table to table, like special effects aside, like they're so vastly different too, which is brilliant because mm. like mm. you need to figure out how to play the game mm. this way now. Yeah. Um, so really cool. And I guess I should also say table to table, the scenarios were set. So it was scenario per table as opposed to scenario per round. Which I thought was bloody sick. Yeah. Because um, first of all, it let the TOs tailor the terrain towards the mission. Yeah. If they if it, if it ever, like, if they were able to. Yeah. Um, and then it just sort of meant, like, everyone was playing a different mission each round. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't just mean, like, you're playing a different mission each round. That's normal. But, like, you would be playing Capture Control while your teammates over there are playing, you know, Conquest of, Conquest of Champions. Is that what it's called? Contest of Champions. Con- yeah. I Conquest I of Champions is... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Conquest <laughs> Creations. <laughs> um, Shout out. Yeah, so you're over playing, you know, capture control while your teammates are over there playing Contest of Champions. Yeah. So there's like this this dynamic of rather than like, oh, we're both playing capture control. Look how well we're both doing it the same thing. It's, look, I've got all my zones. Oh, how are you going? Oh, the hero's still alive. Bugger. Yeah. Oh, you've got the snipe. Sick. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it added like a little more dynamic element to that part too. Mm, it's, it, it's funny how something which is quite small can very much change the dynamic of the day as a whole, right? Because you don't have that kind of, if, if collectively everyone's playing Reconnoiter, you don't have that collective groan of, (laughs) it's just very quiet, a quiet groan (laughs) off to one side of the room. (laughs) Very cool. Um, So let's not go too in depth on uh, the games themselves because we had the interviews, but Geordie, who was who was the MVPs? What were the key moves? Like, what were the things that really stood out for you? Yeah, so I did the classic uh, turn one transfix on the King's Champ. Mm, shut him down. And he had yet to move. So that meant the Dwarves either waited a whole turn for the King's Champ to arrive. Yep. Or moved up where I wasn't able to just, like, fully reform. Yep. That, that was huge. Um, ended up playing huge. And it cost me, what, like a will. I think I threw a one-dicer. Um, the MVP, though, I think has to be the Knight of Kundum. Okay. In the early turns, the Lance got me like a good kill or two. Mm. He did get D-Horse pretty quick. Mm. But for the rest of the game, I'm pretty sure he either didn't lose a combat or just dodged every every attack at him. That's decent. And I believe he was like the last person holding might on the table in one of the clutch turns and I was able to to key something out with that. So the Knight of Kandum just um, held really well. The, the Dark Marshal got the compel and kill, which is sort of what won me the game. Yeah. But I think the Dark Marshal set it up. I think yeah. his position held everyone back and let me get away with it. Yeah, cool. So, going into round one, each mm-hmm. team had four uh, locations on the campaign map. Yep. Right, so, everyone started equal. And then, at the end of round one, there were some distinct winners... And, uh, and a couple one of losers. distinct loser. Now, uh, so uh, Reunited Kingdom on five captured territories. territories. Yep. Fallen Realms on five captured territories. Your team, dear listener, five captured territories. We did it. We got the equal, five. Equal first place. Uh, the team that I would have been playing on uh, three. Well, they would have been on two, so... Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. No, I mean, no. The situation would have been far worse. So, a few nations have sort of vied for top spot here. You know, there's three of us on five. There's a lot of the top. one on three. Yeah. So, let's see yeah. how we go at the end of round two. 
Hey, Jim Keller here at the 2022 Silmarilli, uh, Melbourne correspondent for the Two Towers podcast. I'm here with lovely Thomas Dado. We had a fantastic game. How was it, Thomas? It was great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the game. Absolute pleasure. Um, you had a really interesting army. I loved the theme, particularly with the, the Blue Wizard. Can you give us a breakdown of your list? Yeah, I can. So I was a bit of a late ring-in from Tim because we've been friends for way back. So he's like, I need another person for the Fallen Realms. Um, and he had one person for one day, but not the first day of it. So he was like, the army, you're allowed to take Saruman to count as Polando, who's one of the Astari Blue Wizards who's been walking around trying to like, well, I guess in in Lord of the Rings, you don't know where he is. But in this storyline here, he's bringing the armies of the South to uh, come help in the, this Age 4 battle. So he's, Saruman, Countess Palando, is leading some Haradrim, and there's also the Knight of Umbar, who I guess is now masterless and is just going to, with Palando for kicks, and as well as a Haradrim captain on horse, and then there's just a few Haradrim warriors with bows, Haradrim warriors with spears, and there's some Black Numenorians with the Knight of Umbar. So it's fairly flexible, good bit of cavalry. Oh, there's six uh, serpent riders. So, and you got the chieftain on horse. Chieftain on yeah. the horse with the serpent riders. Yeah, yeah. So a bit of speed, quite a bit of magic. Not, Lots of magic. Yeah. Mm. Not huge numbers. Not huge defense. Yep. But uh, so far it's sitting on two and zero, oh, so that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But very close games both times. That was a good list, and I thought going into it with the Balrog with the resistance to magic and ten will, I was like, oh yeah, I'll be all over this. And but then I look at Knight of Umbar, his stat line, and I'm like, oh, combat mimicry. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be bad if I chuck the Balrog into him. It was a bit of fun. <laughs> Nonetheless, that did happen. Um, so we'll go for a little game breakdown. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the deployment and the first few move phases? Yeah, so I guess the good thing about this tournament is that it's really narrative. So each of the boards has its own scenario that goes with that specific board. Mm-hmm. So we had the one where you seize the prize, I think it's called, or capture the prize. Yeah, the one, one where you ones. dig up the artifact. Where you have to dig up the artifact and, um, and then take it. And you get more points if you finish with it on your opponent's side or if you take it all the way off off the board edge on your opponent's side so i deployed kind of as far forward as i can as i could thinking that with a bit of the serpent rider speed i'd get in dig it up bugger off give it to the um knight of umbar on fell beast and then like fly off you know fly off your board edge Mm. um i think at the end of turn one i was like already i didn't leave enough cavalry because i think uh you heroic marched with your goblins straight up so suddenly I've got two cavalry there and you've got like the Belrog and these goblins there and we're just looking at each other. <laughs> so that was, I think, that was the first mistake. I should have put more cavalry there. Maybe, mm. I don't know, it's not, a, it's not a bug, it's a feature. We did it intentionally for a, ge- a great game. Yep. And then, uh, well, do you want to explain what happened with the Belrog? <laughs> with, yeah, with pleasure. So, well, basically, Belrog got to the centre objective first, tried to dig up the artefact and failed. And then in the same move phase... Um, when when Tom had the his move, he moved a Haradrim infantry into contact. Right, yeah, I dismounted one of the raiders. True, and then, that's right. And tried to dig it up. And then was digging it up at the same time as the Balrog. <laughs> so they're just looking at each other while they're like digging yeah. out these sandcastles looking for I this. would like to think that the Balrog's claws did the hard work, like kind of like loosening the yeah. bottle. Yeah. And then, and then the and Haradrim like, oh, comes in and picks it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Haradrim warrior or, or the serpent guard who, who's dismounted picks it up um, and then really tactically um, because I'd moved half you see so I, my intention was to fury lash him 
into combat with me. But really tactically, Tom, you moved a, a serpent raider, rider, and um, and the knight of Umbar and fell beast next to him, yeah. charged surrounding goblins. You know what we forgot to say? We forgot to say it was on Lake Town. So True, this this yeah, artifact yeah, yeah. is literally in the middle of this bridge that's bridge. like what a few inches wide. Yeah. So the Belrog couldn't actually get past the artifact to charge me because you can't finish on the artifact. So yeah, he he dug up. And so then I'm, yeah, I'm standing there. There's the fell beast comes in on one side and a raider comes in on the other side to try to stand in between my dude with the artifact and your Belrog because now the artifact is on my dude so we can stand there. Yeah. And then it's shoot phase. What happens in the shoot phase? In the shoot phase, so this is one of my, I made two big mistakes in the game. This is the first one. I should have just shot at that warrior who had the artifact, but I thought I'll seize the opportunity here to try and one shot the Knight of Umbar. So I fury lash into the Knight of Umbar's combat. Um, of course, it hit the Knight of Umbar and not my goblin. Yeah, because um, he was in combat. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. um, I thought at least if it hits the goblin, well, you're not in combat and you can't heroic combat off it. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so Knight of Umbar gets drawn into combat with the Balrog, and he's still on a Moria goblin with a spear support. So it's six attacks. However, Knight of Umbar actually turns into a Balrog because of combat beast. mimicry. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess you thought that I could only mimic one thing, but it yeah. turns out I can mimic <laughs> yeah. fight 10, strength, whatever it is, four attacks. Nine, four attacks. Plus yeah. I'm on a fell beast, on a so fell I get beast. the plus one for charging. Yeah. So suddenly it's a five attack, 10 fight versus a four yep. attack, 10 fight Balrog. Yep. And that was hilarious. <laughs> so Balrog and goblins roll a five high off six dice. Um, the Balrog, well, the, the Knight of Umbar on fell beast, Rolls a five high on five dice, but you have might, which yep. is the big thing, yep. right? So I'm like, get it up there. So you might it into a six, of course. Yep. And then the fun begins. And then the fun begins. Instead of striking the Balrog to get a wound, which I was really surprised that he didn't. However, he couldn't get a knockdown because the Balrog's such high strength. He barges, which was really smart. My goblins go off into the water and my Balrog gets barged into the shallow water off the other edge of the bridge and then spends basically the rest of the game trying to get back up. At the start, we were talking about the water because it was shallow, but apparently it was maybe supposed to be deep water. Mm. So how different would the game have been if it was... Oh, my gosh. Belrog goes for a swim in the deep water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so then he's in the water. I'm like, sweet. The Belrog's in the water. My dude with the artifact then runs back, and the fell beast flies back as well. Like, only taken one wound from the fiery lash. Mm. Just survived combat with the Belrog. I'm like got this in the bag like gonna be sweet yeah and then i guess then the the shamans catch up yeah so so you made a tactical withdrawal got that fell beast back and the guy with the artifact this is my second big mistake i think i should have tried to counter that move because you called a heroic move mm, there yep. and because i didn't realize that you would fly him back and do the swap over yeah so that was a really smart move and i know you thought about that for a while um yeah but I came up with a good plan. Yep. Um, so I had two uh, Gundabad Black Shield Shamans. I moved them both up and I cast a two-wheel tremor on a Harajan warrior who's standing in front of the Fell Beast. Yep. And the Fell Beast now has the artifact. Yep. Um, I tremor Knight of Umbar off his Fell Beast. Fell Beast disappears. Yep. And you're knocked prone. Yep, with the artifact on the Knight of Umbar, who's who has already. I think before this, he resisted like some some shatters as well, hadn't he? So yeah. he already lost some 
So he didn't he didn't end up losing war gear, but I tried to wear him down with shatters. I put a shatter on his sword and a shatter on the your armor. armor yep. And you had to use four will in total to resist. Yep. So that's the I guess flexibility of having two of those shamans for me. Because yep. I can just double up on you each turn. Actually I remember one thing. After I barged the Belrog off the bridge, remember then I had to finish my move so I went into combat with a goblin. Yeah. So, and then the yeah. fell beast got beaten by one goblin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like so I lost a point of will for that because uh Yeah, yeah. Um because the Sundred Army um armor only prevents will loss if you win the combat. Win the combat. So yeah, yeah, I was down to like I don't know, like five will or yeah, something. You were starting between, to get low. Yes. I mean, it, it definitely would have been nice for me if the game went on, but yeah, it didn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And so then I'm sitting there like no fell beast, Knight of Umbar sitting on his butt. So, and it's like literally like five minutes left or something. Because yeah. throughout this whole thing, I guess, because some of these are fairly obscure rules, we're like calling the um, Josh and Tim over as the TOs to be like, hey, is that bridge like this high? Does the Belrog take fall damage? Can we barge the Belrog? It was so complicated. Like, do I get so plus one attack because I'm now stolen his four attacks plus the monstrous charge from the Fell Beast? Like yeah. crazy. Yeah, more. So many different questions. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, then, uh, you pulled the win. And yeah. Three, three nil. Yeah. Um, so you had the artifacts. Um, in the end, it was actually Saruman who had it. That's right. Pass it um, over. Pass it on to Saruman from the Knight of Umbar. And it was on your board edge. No one broke. We only mm-hmm. got through, I think, it's like four, four turns. Of, yeah, four turns. I don't even think we got to turn five. Yeah. There was very little kill count. Yeah. Um, no leader wounds. Um, but you had it in your your half. Yep. There were a few times when, uh, as the Belrog was trying to get back out of the water, the Haradrim warriors on the bridge were defend were like you know standing there fighting it. And I think I won two combat two combats yeah, against the, you held the him Belrog. Off. <laughs> yeah, and, and both times rolled a six to wound, but then didn't get the five follow up to do the wound. Yeah, which would have been great for some more VPs. But oh well. Yeah, well, still got the win. Um, and yeah, it's a fantastic game. Yeah, thank you very much, Jim. It was a pleasure. Yep. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, and best of luck for the rest of the tournament, and uh, go the Fallen Realms. <laughs> <laughs> you too. G'day guys, Geordie here at the end of round two of Silmaril, uh, and I'm against my opponent Angus. Hey, how's it going? Uh, and we just played a bit of Contest of Champions against your, ra- what are they called? The uh, Rangers of the North. Rangers of the North. Now, you've actually put a lot of effort into your army, and it looks pretty, really schmick. Do you want to tell us like about what you've done? Yeah, I've... Uh put way too much effort into this army. Uh, display board and everything, it's uh, it's 20 models. Arathorn, Halberad with the banner, three Rangers of the North, and then 15 Dunedain um, for 650 points. And um, 20 unique models. I've got a few of the original Pose Dunedain in there. I've converted a couple of the Wildmen to... Um, yeah, the Wildmen of Dun- uh, Dunland yep, converted so to Rangers. A couple, so. of, uh, <laughs> couple of Wildmen on both sides of the table this game. Uh, you don't normally see that. No, very scraggly men fighting it over. Yep. Uh, and then, um, yeah, a few um, models 3D printed by a friend. So some from um, Diwali. They've got some Ranger oh, models. Yeah. And also from the printing goes ever on and on. Yeah, and as far as like scale, they fit pretty well. And the models look quite really clean. Yeah, it's um, they, they end up working out really well. And, and the Rangers are such a like ragtag group of models that you can throw pretty much anything in there True. and it blends in really nicely. <laughs> I've actually just realised, I've also got some, um, like I think they're Kragolin trackers or something like that from oh, the right. uh, Song of Ice and Fire um, tabletop oh, game as well. You know what? Sc- I did get that vibe, yeah. Yeah, the scale is a bit bigger, but I've got all of my um, Games Workshop models on raised bases. 
and then the craglin ones aren't. So that's the hack, oh, nice. is that if you lower them a little bit, <laughs> the tops of their heads is the same level and it works out in the end. So you did mention at the start that you brought a display board. I, I, I'll get a photo, I'll make sure to get a photo of it and chuck it on the Insta. Because it looks schmick. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of work. It was actually recycled from a board I was trying to make that was like four two by twos, but they, um, they ended up not lining up or not being flush. Oh, right. And so yeah. I just sort of pulled all the work I'd done off the top of them yeah. and, um, and repurposed them into, into display boards. Yeah, because it's, it's like a weather top type. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's sort of um, the Herstarts mold that's the very weather toppy Arnori sort of themed one, the big circular ruins, and then put that on a bit of a hill and lots of, uh, yeah. The trick there, I think, is just like making sure your bases match the, the display board. Yeah. Then, you know, there's just lots of little yellow flowers on both and it ends up looking quite smooth. Yeah, and uh, I want to touch on your, your paint style. So yeah, and feel free to jump in to, mm. about any conversions you've done. But I do want to go on the paint style because you did like, uh, I'm going to call it like line edge highlighting. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk us through like how you did that or what? <laughs> got you to do that I guess I've repainted my ranges three times oh, now I think it was yeah. just the first time the paint went on in about an afternoon before a thousand point tournament and I needed to get you know I think 18 models I took at, at a thousand points with the um, the gray company legendary yeah. legion with the, the elves and stuff Aragorn yeah and the twins um, and um, yeah so it went on very quickly and I think it was you know your Montmartre <laughs> like acrylic paint and um, over the years gotten a little better yeah. Um, and yeah, those little, uh, so the, the trick that I've found with, with those kinds of armies, and I really love painting them, it's, it's wood elves and your middle earth ranges and even Mirkwood ranges, is that they can all get very same same if you have all dark green cloaks. Yeah. Yep. You know, they've all got the red jerkin and stuff. But if you take the same like four or five colors, you've got your, your light browns, your dark browns, and then you just mix and match where that is. Yep. Some of them will have a green jerkin, but you know, you'll have, uh, you, you can hide all of the same pose models really, really well in an army. Um, this, there are people out there who are going to be listening to this and just going, yeah, dumbass, I know. <laughs> yeah. But we're all on our own journey. You yeah, know? that's so, right. And, and there'll be some people listening and go, oh, that's actually interesting. Or, yeah. I didn't think of that. And, well, and that, was, so. that was exactly what happened there. So I had them all painted and they were painted relatively well. And then scrolling through Instagram one day, I found someone who'd done that sort of just like the tiniest little lines you can do to to imitate stitching or yeah. like a kind of a movement in the cloaks and the the, the difference it makes is is massive. It's huge. They look really sweet. And I'll I'll note you. I think I noticed there were like spots of off colors on each of them. So like they all had green. Then I think I saw a couple with like a red sash and yep. like a red I don't know like yep. um, mask it's and then a, a couple with like yellow yep. tacked on. That one actually came out of conversations I had with um with uh, Sean. Um, Rosado from, he's in Brisbane now, uh, who, who did his ranges up in like a really lovely like pastel, but he just ended up having all of these different like blues and pinks and yellows and stuff on, on all the different ranges. And instead of everything being very green and brown, you just, yep. a, a little dab of red, of a little dot of blue and some yellow as well. Looks, um, looks really good. And it also, you know, that's also the same colors you're going to use when you're painting up your hobbits or something like that. So, True. Um, yeah, so we've know, got some forethought going stays, on. Stays very themey. I can't say I'm going anywhere near a hobbit, <laughs> hobbit army. I can't um, afford it and I don't have the patience. <laughs> and I guess for you more than the, the opponent, as, as the opponent, I'm just like, I don't know, they're all rangers. Mm -hmm. But it might even help you like track which one's which. It definitely does. Um, and after, so uh, uh, that's, that's probably the other thing to mention with this army is I have a big spreadsheet. Um, that has it's a, yeah. it's a yep, A4 spreadsheet that just has little boxes for everyone's might, will, and fate, and every character is named. So they've got their names along um, along the bases of the models, so that you can see 
I bring a sheet and um, you know for a, for my opponent if they you yeah know, if they think I'm going to be but no one's ever taken me up on it. Um, Too much effort. <laughs> but it's also it's like it works out really well because you can be really sure that you're not doing it. And you know I've seen I I tried using like different coloured pins in the bases mm. um, to track it. So you just pull the pin out if they didn't have the oh, resource anymore. Yeah. Um, and I've tried doing loops, but both of them just kind of there's a lot of like getting my big fat fingers into the model, which doesn't really work well. And dropping loops as well can yep. be really, um, like it really it chips the paint really easily. Yeah, and those yeah, metal yeah. ranges chip pretty easily. So the, that's just the best one I found. And at the end, you have a folder that shows your performance in all of the tournaments that you and went to. And uh, I'll point out, you did note, like if somebody did something particularly cool, you yeah. wrote that down. Yeah. Um, uh, Iacon and Lochinar got got a got a two man on a on a Mordor troll. And that, that, that was oh, pretty really cool. cool. And you get to look back and go, I think... <laughs> I think it says in my little thing, uh, kill the fucking troll. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh, that's that's all that. So let's move to the game where mm. where we got that. Um, contest of champions means we start basically base to base. Yep, definitely one which, of the lesser played um, tournament tournament games. Yeah. Um, so that was realistically that was good for me because your mm. shooting would have probably killed a troll before we even met. Yeah, it certainly would have made it a lot easier. Like, it, it's a lot easier to throw Arathorn or Halberat even onto a troll if it's on one wound. Yeah, exactly. And just, you fire all the shots and any fives are actually yeah. wounds, which yeah. is very abnormal for... Yeah, with for... 20 ranges, you do not mind spending that might yeah. On, a, yeah. <laughs> on a cheeky bow kill. Um, and turn one, because of course this is the all-important one, uh, I think you won priority, but as we all know, it's the heroic move-off that you want to win. Yep. And you took that one. I took that one. Um, using a throwaway point of might. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> matter if I want to move your, or not. I can just... One of your 28? Yep. 26. 26. Okay, okay. Um, and so you just sort of like caved me in. We were in something of a bottleneck. Yeah. Well, it wasn't huge, but it was... Yeah, that first turn, that first turn you had a troll on either side and then your line of Black Numenorians at the front. And the Black Numenorians fight four and defense six, I yep. think. So yep. the, the tougher nuts to crack of the warrior units. But um, I think I called five heroic combats on the first turn and won four of them, which let me knock oh, off yeah. one of the Black Numenorians. The turn one was mental. And then push into the orcs behind them or the, the men of Khandun behind them and, and start to work on those. So uh, that turn, I think... Uh, Lostor, who was my captain, who who was uh, Arathorn, um, he killed one man of Khandum and then heroic combated into two orcs, into two got more. three kills, yep. and in the end I got seven points from having four kills. So yeah, I got those you, three you kills on further, Aragorn were right at the start of the game, and I tried to put him on the Dark Marshal and it didn't happen. Yeah, and so uh, I had my Knight of Khandum on one of the heavy flanks. Um, now you did an interesting thing, um, some of the listeners, if you ever... I mean, it's not just for rangers, but it particularly good on rangers. I caught a heroic combat with my Knight of Khandum against a ranger. Mm -hmm. And what did you do in response? The ranger called a combat back. Um, in that situation, if the ranger wins the roll-off, if the ranger player wins yeah. the roll-off, the ranger's it's heroic move combat. activates before your heroic move activates. Yeah. So whilst you still fight the combat, my heroic move is the one that takes place. And so even if I win and killed you, yep. That was your heroic yep. combat, so, so now I'm left high and dry. Yep. And it, it, it's really good for the rangers because the 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 equation for rangers is that you never want to be giving away a full stat model. And the game before this, I lost 12 nil, and I lost three Dunedain on full stats to three throwing spears, <laughs> which was Brutal. absolutely devastating. Um, but in that situation where you've got you know you've got you've got higher fight charging you, and he had a few friends yeah, with him, and he was lands. really going to be able to bounce into my flank. 
uh, the ability to, to to turn that off and you don't care, he's probably going to die anyway. Yeah. So yep. I'd rather he died trying to get something done yep. than die on full stats because I was hoping you'd roll a five and I'd roll yeah. a five. And it's, it's straight up, it's a 50-50 to stop a, uh, an entire combat. Yep. Um, ultimately, I did win the roll off there, so I got to go first and heroic. And yep. The Knight of Kandum was definitely my MVP. Yeah, he... Knocked out two or three ranges at the start and then sat there bodying three or four ranges yeah, every turn yeah. for the next three um, or four turns. But then outside of that, you were absolutely chomping. Like you said, you actually got your like heroic waterfall sort of happening. Actually, most of them did it waterfall. Wasn't, you no, just sort wasn't, of won yeah, them anyway. It wasn't, wasn't necessarily heroic waterfall. It was just, uh, if I can... The ranges work really well with space. Once you yeah, can crack yep. that nut of that front wall, once the ranges are just going, oh yeah, I'm just going to sneak here on two models, oh, I'm going to sneak here on two yep, models, yep. that's where they can just start to eat away at you and, and you can slow down on your resource spending as the ranger player and get to the end with still 10 or ten or 12, maybe even 15 ranges and seven or eight might. Yeah. And then there's nothing left in your range and just like, oh yeah, we'll call a combat here, why not? Let's go. Yeah, and... Outside of like the Black Numbers fighting the Rangers, I was kind of like banking, look, that's fine. As long as my trolls kill yes. two to three Rangers a turn, we'll sort of yep. probably tit for tat. You and I both thought the trolls were going <laughs> to kill two or three Rangers per but turn. turn one, uh, my troll on the left flank, whiffed. Whiffed, took two wounds. Was uh, technically trapped against the wall with some unfortunate... That was uh, that was another one. That was a Ranger who, who took out through. the guy right in front of him, pushed back and, and ended up with a three-point trap on the, on the troll, which yeah. was everything. Yep, um, which, yeah, you landed the two wounds. I think you spent might there, but I spent still two points of might to get the two wounds at the start, it. but yeah. And then my troll just fighting a single ranger on the other end. Mm -hmm. Whiffed, you won the combat. I don't think you wounded, but every turn that my mm. trolls weren't just stomping a model... Yeah, exactly. ...was a was a big tempo loss for me. And 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 just a point sink. Like, I don't, mm. I don't know how much a, a Mordor troll costs, but it's not 50 points. No, yeah, big hundred <laughs> just sitting still. Um... And it sort of sort of kept going. Like it wasn't, it wasn't. There was some unfortunate rolls, and you were getting good combats because you had the might yeah. and the roll. Like, and I think you won the next roll off as well. Yeah, I think I had priority for the next three turns or something like that, <laughs> yeah. right up until the end. Yep. Um, and I burned some unfortunate might on some various things as well. Um, and you sort of chomped at my black numbs, as as we said. You trapped and slayed the troll. I went for a three dice. Transfix on uh, Arathorn yep. with the Dark Marshal. He was like about four inches deep into my lines. Yeah. So I was like, okay, he's yeah, my he chance. I'll just go for the hero. Three dice, Transfix. Got the six. And you chucked two will? Yep, two will. Uh, rolled a five, spent a point of might. Back to the six, so you're yep. all good to go. But still, I've got to commit. Charge the Marshal, charge the troll on him. Yeah. Uh, and then you struck... I, yeah, struck up. Strike is not a particularly reliable. No. Um, yeah. You know that that first tournament I, t I talked about where I took the the Grey Company. It was three years ago. I still remember the roles because I had Aragorn, oh, wow. El, I got Ar Ar Aragorn, the twins, Legolas and Gimli. So five fight six models, mm. who over the course of four games against two Balrogs and Smaug rolled one collective fight ten between them. It was rough. Yeah. But today, facing down, what, two, two, <laughs> two of the men of Can't Doom, the Dark Marshal and a Mordor Troll, he rolled that fat four, got fight ten, fight and 10. then rolled the six on the... <laughs> rolled the six saved on, him. on your three dice, four with a banner. So that was... Like, it was, it, was, it, was, it was likely enough to happen. Yeah. Definitely not a sure thing. 
And, uh, and then whiffed the wound. Whiffed the wound. So my troll got to live another day. And that was the big, I think that was the big risk that I took that game. Everything mm, else was mm. just like rangers doing Definitely. what rangers do. But that one, like I looked at those kills and I went, even if my hero runs in ahead, gets gets his three kills on the first turn, the Dark Marshal's going to have to work really hard yeah. to get three yep. kills in return. So yep. getting those early was like, even if I'd eaten the thing, I think... Even if he died at the start, because he really didn't do much throughout the rest of the game, I think I still would have got a small, a smaller win. Yeah. But I yeah. still would have got the win against. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been like nine five instead yeah. of, of what it ended up being. Yeah. Nine one. I, think. I didn't realize. Well, I should have read it properly. There's a bit of a a bonus to this scenario for here the the champion killing a hero or multi wound model. Yep. Which is where the rangers really start to get yeah. eaten up. So I could have had my Black Marshal like charging into rangers. Yeah. I mean, in saying that, I don't think I ever got the uh, the option, but no. to charge in and no. sort of blood and glory every turn. Yeah, but once you were yeah, once we were in it, you were you were held up pretty hard. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's we've we've gone on for a little bit, but there was plenty to talk about. Um, thanks for the game, Angus. You ended up winning nine one, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a bit of a redemption. I lost the last game twelve nil, so. Feels feels good to have points on the board for the team. Yeah, you were take, saying take the zone. That's sort of like a ranger. Yeah, win hard or lose hard. That's yep. the <laughs> that's the game with the rangers. You never play an hour and a half game with the rangers. <laughs> that's it's, true. We were done and yeah, dusted. Done and dusted in an hour. Now, brilliant. Thanks for that. Okay, so round two. Uh, you've heard from both Geordie and the Melbourne correspondent. Um, Geordie, do you want to talk about the the buffs and debuffs? that each team gets uh, based off their performance each round? Yeah, so all the teams which had scored an extra territory, you know, being on the uprise, we actually got a bit of momentum in our sales rule-wise too. We all got a buff. Yeah, so I'm just uh, having a look at the buffs now. So for the teams that held five regions, they each got a buff, like you say. Um, the Reunited Kingdom got a buff where they could re-roll priority uh, roll once Per game? Look, if I had to choose, I would go that way. That's <laughs> it's pretty huge. good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. The Fallen Realms had um, uh, one that they called Age and Experience. Um, in scenarios in which you roll to pick a board edge, you automatically get to choose the board edge, which is pretty good. Uh, and in scenarios with reinforcement rolls, you get a plus one. Mandatory plus one, importantly. Oh. There was a big... Uh, when Tim read that out, there was this huge uproar in the in the crowd. Everyone not on the Fallen Realms was like, mandatory, mandatory. And everyone on the Fallen Realms was like, optional, give me optional. The, give me the choice. Um, but, of course, they ruled in the, the favour of the majority. <laughs> this is a democracy, after all. Um, so, that's very good. And what was the one for Remnants of Mordor? Ours was pretty good. Um, doesn't help me too much, but it was your um, leader got a 12-inch standfast bubble. Yeah, cool. That's nice. That's nice. I mean, it's no re-roll priority roll. No, but... but uh, evil prone to running, so this yeah, is kind of a, yeah. a way to go. Yeah, yeah, no, very cool, very cool. So... Um, uh, and interesting, interesting to, I always love those moments where, um, and it's not unique to Sill, but those moments <laughs> at tournaments where the TO makes a proclamation yeah, yeah. and the masses either rejoice with glorious cheers or, you know, throw cabbages and tomatoes mm. towards mm. the front of the stage, right? Yeah. Um, 
three quarters of the room cheering and only one quarter of Mardo, so <laughs> not so bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Good day at the office for the TO. So uh, we've heard from the, the Melbourne correspondent uh, about his game. Before we go to your game, yeah. I just wanted to uh, shed a tear or perhaps pour some of my drink out for the poor Balrog of Morgan. <laughs> in the water. I mean, of all of the things uh, to have... Uh, a Balrog do pushed into a puddle uh, is definitely not high on the list, right? Look, of all the combatants that Balrog wants to see, I think the Knight of Umba is the single worst one. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No other models naturally fight 10, so the Balrog wins, right? Yeah. yeah. Nope. <laughs> Knight of Umba's like, yo, I'm a Balrog for a turn. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's it's really interesting. It sounds like, uh, listening back to it, <laughs> it sounds like they would have probably spent... The majority of their game, just talking to the TOs the about TO yep. corner yep. case things of like, how does this rules interaction work? But nonetheless, it sounds like they had a, an enjoyable game um, uh, all the same. So um, do you want to talk a, a little bit about um, your game, the highlights? Because you were playing Angus, was it? Yeah, Angus. And I played him a few times. Good, good mate. He's a really chill dude. Um, I probably mentioned it in the interview. He's played his Rangers multiple times. And those who watch Conquest Creations, uh, you may have seen us play each other on there before. Um, So he knows his Rangers in and out. Yeah. And going to this, I was like, oh, dude, I got this. What courage are they? Courage four? Piece of cake. Then he points out that the banner gives fearless. Is that, uh, is there a bubble effect to that? Six inch. Okay. So yeah, that's pretty big. It's covered. The big key moves was turn one. He charged my front line he's fearless he's just charging to the black gnomes he's got them all yeah and charged one model into a troll and my troll was pretty out of position I was like here's my shot black darted the ranger on the troll got the six rangers have will though he burnt the will he got the six. Oh no it was the five with the might or it was the six I think it was the six oh, though and no. I was gutted I'm like because I could re re Move that troll yeah. into a sick hurl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are, the range is a defence five, so yeah. could have yeah, chopped could have done two or damage. three of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, the troll was left with his pants down. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, we were talking about this before, but black black Numenorians without their terror, they they drop significantly in effectiveness, right? It's the terror. They're, so they have two key defensive characteristics. Terror, defence six. Yeah. Rangers are strength four. Yep. So they were a perfect counter yeah. to the list that I've brought up here. Fearless and Strength 4 cuts out Terror and Defense 6. Yeah. Like, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The other key thing, and look, once again, he's one MVP, the Knight of Kandum. Oh, okay. I deployed a big battle line. The Knight of Kandum and his, his little Morgul Knight friend deployed on the wings. Mm. Um, didn't charge the first turn because they were too far away because I deliberately put them out of six of the, the middle because he had so many dummy drops. He saw my whole army before I saw of his. Of course. Um, so it's turn two, Knight of Kandum charged a, a ranger. Uh, I called the heroic combat. Interesting rules interaction. Uh, I'm going to assume it works. Angus counter called a heroic combat with that ranger. Yes. Um, and I, th- I believe I've been showing the facts since. I trusted him, but, you know, it's one of those things that you like. Yeah. I just want to be sure so that when I use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so there was a 50% chance that this ranger who's, look, if he, if he you know, fights this combat, he's dead. You yeah. know, I've got yeah. the lance, I've got the charge, I've got everything. This yeah. ranger's dying. There's just a 50% chance to turn my heroic combat off. Yeah. Huge. Um, I ended up, like I mentioned, I ended up winning that, that um, roll off and... The knight charged into like two more rangers and, and mush them as well. Mm. 
he spent the next, I think, four turns winning every single combat. Wow. Whether I got the charge, whether I was charged, I, I rolled the six or I rolled the five and like the ranger swift as well. Yeah, like right. Every single combat. I think he had like a kill tally of like four or five. Oof. And of course, we were playing Contest of Champions. I was actually thinking about this like after the tournament. If I was allowed to choose a champion and it had to be a hero, it would have been him. Of course it would have I would been. have had the Knight of Kandum running in Wrecking House. And I mean, that is <sighs> the fundamental flaw with that scenario. Like, it's why is it Contest of Leaders? Yeah, because you know? it's called Contest of Champions. champions. The only model in the game that I'm aware of that has champion in their title is the king's champion. champion. He's not the king. He's the king's champion. champion. He's uh, who he would go in and... Oh, don't get even stuff. worse, I think, and I don't know why they do it, is that like magic doesn't count. It's ridiculous. Like if I'm a caster and I black dart you, that's a kill for me. Yeah. Right. Any other scenario, right? Yeah. Anyway. Um, but no, it was a sick game and like Angus just schooled me and I think he had like the right matchup, you know. He he just called heroic combats across the board, and as you heard, chewed did, through troops. Did he get the kind of the waterfall going where he chained them off? What's funny one after another? It wasn't waterfalling. He just heroic combated with anyone who could. Yeah, just hoped to win the combat. Yeah. Like the odds weren't against him, but they weren't with him. But you know, worth the shot. And he just heroic combated and got his hands in the cookie jar, being the orcs. Sure. Um, so just killed the black numbs. Yeah. And he he won. Like I think we say in the interview, he won first turn. He won all of them. Yeah, like right. four out of four or something. Wow. Um, and killed the black numb and got to the orc and yeah. killed the orc. Like, I was like almost broken turn two. It was crazy. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's the thing with those kind of all hero armies. If they can get the momentum rolling yeah. in their favor, yeah. it's very hard to stop it, them. And that, I get, that's a good thing to point out. He just burned might into tempo. So he yeah. turned every point of might he had into an extra kill yeah. in that space. Because yep. now that's a whole extra model that I'm down, you know. Mm. So it wasn't my wasted; it was my gained. Mm. No, sorry, might spent to gain tempo. Yeah. Um. Absolute masterclass. He ended up trapping one of the trolls too. Smushed him. Wow. He won purely on um, purely on his contest kills, and I think I was broken. But he didn't wound the dark marshal. He mm. fought two rounds with his Arathorn equivalent, who yep. probably had a cool name. Sorry, Angus. Um. Dark Marshall rolled the 96 every time, and he's fight six, so he wins. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Awesome. All right, well, let's get on to uh, round three. Hi, Jim Keller here, the uh, Melbourne correspondent to the Two Towers uh, podcast. I'm here with Huon. Um, Huon, tell us about your army. Oh, well, today I'm playing a rather fun little list, very simple and casual, because it only has five models. Um, I'm playing Radagast on Great Eagle, alongside Guire here and three other Great Eagles. Me. Pretty intimidating list. Um, what were your thoughts going into Can you tell us about the scenario, the board, and your thoughts and tactics going into it? Well, for this scenario, I was reasonably happy in terms of the matchup for the scenario, because in this case, because we have to split across all four table edges, and I do have a very mobile army, that was something I could play to my advantage. Mm. Um, I also quite liked the terrain for me in this sense because there were a few big fat trees on this Lothlorien board for mm. me to fly over that my opponent would have to walk around and uh, wings yeah. are handy like that. <laughs> yeah, that really um, took me off guard. I think my deployment wasn't fantastic. I was chasing with the Balrog for a few turns. 
I did catch up with you eventually. Oh, but, um, yes. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> had the initiative. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about how the game unfolded for you and what the objectives were? Uh, well... Basically, early on, I had two main options of attack. One, well, eventually, basically, this was a Maelstrom mission. So your army essentially appeared entirely all in one corner. Mm. And I was basically, at that point, I had moved my army up to the center. So I was left with two main options. I could either withdraw, kind of sit in three table quarters, because that was the objective, ta yep. capturing table quarters, and try and force you to come to me, or I was able to see a bit of an opportunity to get around at some of your goblins while avoiding the Balrog, which is, of course, the one key model that I don't mm. want to fight in your army. And that's exactly the tactic you went with, which yeah. was good. Sounded more fun. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's important to point out that you did have to spend a point of might, both mm. on Guahir and, uh, and Radagast, Ooh, yeah. just to come on, because um, you were pretty unlucky with your rolling in Maelstrom. Um, whereas I was fairly lucky, I think I just spent one point of might with the mm. shaman. Um, that being said, my shamans were rendered pretty useless in terms of the spells. However, mm. the tremor was was um, was good, I guess, to be able to knock prone an eagle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Balrog did the heavy lifting, I guess, for me. Um, and you had a really interesting um, end tactic. Um, can, well, can you tell us first before we get onto that about? you know, mm. what happened with Gua here and the Balrog and what you would have liked to have happened, Ooh, which would yeah. have made you win the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, once I'd engaged in the way that I did, I had essentially a little bit of a sneaky plan because the three objectives for the scenario were capturing table quarters, breaking the opponent's army, and wounding or killing their leader. Mm. Now, I couldn't do anything about their leader, but hopefully if I were careful with Radagast, you wouldn't either, so that yep. just doesn't matter. And basically, if I could just get in quickly, kill enough goblins to break you, and then just ditch, <laughs> mm. capture two or three table quarters, I should basically win by default because you're forced to spread out and come to me where your courage is going to fail and yeah. I can sort of yep. pick you apart with flying eagles on just a couple of goblins. Um, but basically that relied on me not getting completely bogged down by the Balrog, which was the key thing I was trying to avoid. Yes, and I won a couple too many lucky priorities <laughs> or used heroic moves yeah. for that matter when you had already um, had to burn through some of your might. Yeah. Um, massive game changer for the goblins was having the fearless bubble with, with the Balrog. Um, and I guess your tactic was trying to get me to spread out right at the end so that yeah. I wouldn't have that. Yeah, yeah big yeah. time. Because it meant at most you could try to hold two table quarters. That's right. Not, not, yeah. not three. Yeah. So. Which is all I could end up doing. Um, and when you got the initiative to fly away with two eagles, mm. um, we were both broken at this point. Yeah. Um, and super interestingly, you flew to the two board edges that I couldn't get to <laughs> where I'd ran away from yep. um, and it ended up being a five all draw yeah, yeah 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 bang on so yeah crazy tense game yeah. and I oh, oof, with the way the Balrog was uh, gradually coming around the <laughs> flank and 
skewering my my eagles, turning them into rotisserie chickens, yeah. I was uh, pretty happy to get away at all. So that priority <laughs> was crucial, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because in the end, we'd both run out of mite, and yeah. it's definitely one of those things where I was thinking, "Damn, I really wish I didn't have to use the mite to get on the board." Yeah, that's right. Because the last yeah. two or three turns, neither of us had any mite. It was all down to, to priorities. So thankfully, I won just enough priorities at the end to squeeze away you know yeah. just get away from you and uh yeah force the draw with two eagles for two quarters it's very good all right thanks for the game Huon. thanks for coming on the podcast cheers jim it was a pleasure all right g'day guys geordie here at the end of round three and versing a uh friend of the show nathan rhodes hello hello um so nathan i really dig your theme coming into this one do you want to tell us about it sure so uh the theme initially was um the betrayer and uh he's gone back to harad uh, 30 years later yep, uh, yep and the haradrim kings are less than satisfied with uh with him coming back because yep. obviously he's quite a powerful uh, uh spirit yeah yep. so they've um hired some uh some watchers of kana to imprison him in the city of kana in the city of kana yeah uh, and about a decade later he's uh corrupted enough of them uh, over that time to to free himself yeah uh, yeah he brings along a few few other spectres that were in there as well. Yeah, so he's taken the denizens of Kana and like sort of unleashed them, I guess. Yep, yep, and, and escaped, uh, and he's uh, heading north to enact uh, vengeance on the uh, the good people Let's of uh, go. Middle Earth. Yeah. In in another timeline, our armies would have been friends, but yes, they would have been. Um, so I'll I'll go into further detail because first of all, the betrayer is very striking, and we'll get some photos of it for the for the listeners here. But yep. do you want to? Let us know like how you got that model and that pose and everything. So uh, it's a fell beast on the ground. Mm. Um, it's a 3D model uh, that I found online, and uh, essentially I just took the betrayer, the metal betrayer on horse. Oh, he's the metal um, one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So that made bit, it a lot tougher. It was a bit of a struggle, but um, had to get the hacksaw out. Um, yep. So grinded him up and um, put him on top. Uh, yeah. So and and the base has some uh, some rubble on it. The uh, fell beast is kind of leaning over yeah because um, he's just he's in a bit of a weird angle isn't he where he's his wings are off the off the ground a bit yeah yeah um no but the the conversion sick well done i didn't realize it was metal so even better effort <laughs> yeah and and the felbeast actually flows really well with the betray because he's got that pointing pose yes yeah. he's kind of twisting and he's looking where the felbeast is looking off to the side yeah so, so wicked and well. then you've also got some the spoopy boys that you mentioned so yes. tim's given you some permissions here do you want to explain like exactly what you chucked in there with spirit wise right so we've got um we're using some angmar rules yep uh there's a barrel white with four dead marsh specters in there yeah um and they're considered green with my army although it's not really giving Obviously, me too many bonuses it's a couple of poison spears and specters like two is extra pretty bows. strong oh yeah as far as keeping the bonus yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna say so um the specters are great yeah. don't get me wrong they're amazing <laughs> for uh 15 points i think they are each. yeah um so but those are um more 3D models, yeah. printed in, in clear resin. They're printed in clear resin, yeah. so they literally, they're actually just transparent. Yep. Which yep. is wicked. There's a bit of a tint on them to make them you know, yeah. a bit blue. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're a ghost, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The army in the theme looked wicked, and it's pretty potent, actually. Spectres plus your shooting's actually a legitimate combo. Yep, yep. Surprisingly good. Um, the Betrayer obviously gives, um, you can spend a will every turn to give full reroll poison within yep. six inches. Yep. Uh, with 12 bows, that's... That's a lot of re-rolls. Yeah. Um, basically doubles the, the potency of the shooting. Oh, yeah. It's, it's huge. So, 
coming into this, I was actually not looking forward to this matchup army wise. Yeah. Because as as much as my courage isn't horrible for a mortal list, every time you get a fellite on a troll, it's huge. It is, yeah. Um, so coming to this one, we were playing heirlooms, mm-hmm. which as far as matchups for us, I actually didn't hate that because at least it wasn't just straight kill because you would smash me. Yep. Um, so I got the march up with my cav. I managed to blockade, I guess. Yep. Um, and then have the infantry come up in the subsequent turns. Mm. I dug it up. So basically I was this entrenched position in the middle. There, there, was a, there was a narrow bridge in the middle that only fit basically a troll and, a, and another person on the side. Actually, this is a good thing to mention. You're right. So we were on a bridge because we were on actually a really terrific board. Uh, in concept, I've got a gripe with it, and I'll, I'll I'll tell the modeler he can definitely fix it. So we were playing on a lake town board, like proper usable lake town. It was like eighty percent covered in wood. The base was um, like wooden planks and walkable planks rather, and tons of houses. Great line of sight blocking, um, and yeah, rivers in the middle. Looked terrific, and it actually played pretty well. Sands one little thing, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, uh... The, the, the bridges were just a little too angled uh, for, even for plastic models, they'd slide or fall off and the entire game was centralised around that bridge. Yeah, that, I think that's what made it so uh, uh, painful, I guess. Yeah, a bit frustrating. Because we had, you know, 18 models just on this one bridge, but they wouldn't sit perfectly. Mm. So again, credit to the guy, the person who's made this map. It's terrific. If you, if you happen to be one of our listeners, uh, if you can redo those middle bridges you would be a perfect board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, um, awesome blue tack. Stick yeah, down. True. <laughs> um, so yeah, back to, back to the game, mm. uh, off that tangent. Uh, yeah, I'd sort of this entrenched position. It, the the chokehold worked in my favour because I had such high fight value. So I had my Knight of uh, Kandum and I ended up eventually getting a troll there. Mm. Gorbag held it initially and then swapped out for the troll. Um, so I did get the artifact on the second attempt, which was actually pretty good. It's pretty decent. If yeah. I was there for too much longer, yeah, it would have been uh, it would have been pretty dangerous. Yeah, I, I had some bows off to the side because it was Lake Town. They were shooting across some water, so I was hitting the side of you. Yeah, a few in the ways, but they're all your dudes, so it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, and essentially every time you got the artifact, picked it up, and then <laughs> dead from a bow. Eight bows came through. Killed it. So, importantly, you did have your Betrayer there giving them mega re-rolls. Yes, for five or six turns? Five or six yeah, turns. Yeah. Um, so, that paid off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I picked it up with like a Black Numb. You'd kill one to two of them. Pick it up with another Black Numb. You killed one to two of them. Um, so, like, it kept dropping on the ground. And because and it can't be passed off uh, yeah. twice. It can't be picked up and passed off in the same You time. can't pick it off and pass it off. You also couldn't... Um, if you moved with it at all... I'm oh, no, sorry, if you picked it up that turn and died... Because normally you can handball light objects. Yes. You weren't allowed to handball, so it yep. naturally kept dropping. So eventually I got on my Dark Marshal. And yes. here's me, pretty chuffed. I've got a Defense 8 model carrying it. I had a few in the ways too, but mm-hmm. uh, do you want to tell us what happened there? Uh, some uh, pretty potent shooting um, from the bows. They, they, they shot six shots into the Dark Marshal. I th- I only think... two of them hit, importantly, here. Yeah, only two hit. Uh, yep. they, they rolled... Poorly for the first roll of a wounding, and then they re-rolled into, into double sixes, uh, and then Ooh. from that, obviously it's it's six fives for six a, by fives, a, a yep. D8 model for a strength two bow, and then they rolled into a six and a five. Yeah. Uh, so two wounds on the uh, on the dark marshal. Uh, I was mightless, so you I were, just had yep. my natty fate and uh, a six and a three, I believe. Yep. So if you had might left, you would have you would have lived. You would have lived. Uh, so that gave away two points, and it was a whole other turn of, of dropping the artifact. Mm-hmm. 
Um, after that, I think the area was so clogged up that um, you weren't able to sort of get through that front little yeah, line that I had. I think at that point you had the troll in front of me, which blocked everything unless yeah. I killed it. The huge base here stopped um, you. Yeah. Um, so I was able to get a troll to pick it up, I think, at this point yep. and run away. Because mm -hmm. um, you had two trolls in your list. Yeah. One, one's blocking <laughs> yeah. and one's, one's running blocking, away. One's running away. Perfect tag team. Um, so, yeah, so I had the artifact, but you had killed my leader just then and broken me, so you had got five points. Yep. Uh, and in my head, just holding the artifact was worth five points, so I ran my troll backwards, deep into my territory. Um, eight or nine inches onto my side, basically, it was. Uh, then you <laughs> happened to point out something. Yes. Um, so I was reading the scenario that they had provided rather than going to the rule book, mm -hmm. and it's formatted just a little bit weird. So I'm always happy to lose games. The way that I lost this was a little yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So on the left side, it's got like the how to set up and how to deploy, and then on the right side, as far as I was aware, it had all the objectives. And the top of the list just says, if you have a model carrying the objective, you get five points. Yeah. But. <laughs> but. That was only if it was in my side of the board. So your yep. opponent's half of the board. Because secretly, the three-point line of text on the is on line. the left-hand side yeah. on the how to set up sort of side. So unfortunately, I ended up copying a loss. Five, three? Yes, five, three, yep. Um, it was a good game. And it was a hard scrap. I just wish I read the scenario fully, so it is still on me. But I'll give Josh 50% of this uh, with the formatting. Yeah, so, if you're listening, Josh. Um, but no, great game, Nathan, and absolutely love your army. Thanks, yeah, it was fantastic. Okay, so round three, end of the first day. Um, and let's do a quick recap. Yeah. Of where the teams are at, right? absolutely, because yep. the 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 state of play has changed uh, since the last pretty round, dramatically. Right? So Mordor had four wins and five losses, so mm. we didn't make any ground mm. here. How did the rest of us go? So uh, slightly ahead of you was the reunited kingdom. Uh, they were on five. Uh, and then you had the the two other end of the spectrum. So the yeah. people that had shot out ahead with the Fallen Realms, they were on seven. They were riding high here. Big, big territory claim. And the poor old free peoples, <laughs> the people after my own heart, they were <laughs> down the bottom on a two. Um, but what was interesting was that they kind of had a inbuilt uh, handicap mm. or self-leveling uh, with the special rules, right? Yeah. Did you want to talk about the special rules? Well, so you, you would have heard that, you know, if we're doing pretty well, we get a buff. Yeah. I like what they've done that if you're doing too well, we're going to take something away from yeah. you. You know, the, I guess the idea is that like now you've become a bit disorganized. There's a bit of infighting now that you own so much and mm. sort of like the supply lines become a bit more difficult to manage and all that sort of goodness. Yeah, um, you've overextended. You've overextended. Um, I guess you want to... Tell the listeners what we've got going on here. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so because Reunited Kingdom basically uh, maintained its five, their buff is still the same. Yep. Reroll the priorities. Um, because um, uh, you were on four, that's yeah, kind of neutral. That's neutral. So you don't get a buff. In the middle. 
you don't get a debuff, um, which is a bit sad. Um, for the free people, so I guess this is to reflect a, a heroic last stand of the elves. Um, they get all models in your army do not take courage tests for being broken until they are at least 66%. So it's essentially Isengard's. Yeah, it's the Isengard's special. Uh, they special. deliberately pointed out, like much like Isengard, you are broken at 50%, you just yeah. don't check for yeah. it. Yeah. So pretty big buff. I mean, they can do without it anyway. Like, their courage is normally good. Yeah. But it just gives you that certainty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the final one, the, the Fallen Realms, which got um, a bit of a, a debuff. Uh, they got all heroes in your army must re-roll all successful courage checks. So, this is a good round for my list to be versing Fallen Realms. And, Geordie, were you playing a Fallen Realms? I was. Um, Who were you playing? I was playing friend of the podcast, Nathan Rose. Of course. So, I guess to, to do a quick wrap-up, it was just heirloom, so run to the middle. But the two key models here was the Knight of Kandum and one of the trolls. Right. I reckon shoulder pads. They stood at the edge of that bridge and denied access yeah, right. to, like, 20 Haradrim. And was that where, um, like, the heirloom was? Like, they were digging that up? It was behind them by, with, like, oh, four, okay. or, five, four okay. or five inches back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, they just denied that the bridge block. It's so tight. Yeah, 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 you yeah. couldn't get on. Yeah. Um... And just dug it up and tried running it backwards. As you sort of heard in the interview, <laughs> in the book, it's formatted where setups on the left-hand side and rule uh, the the way to win is always on the right-hand side. Yeah. Um, now, Sill on every table, and this was terrific, had the scenario written up in their own little um, style. Uh, and did they did they tweak any of the scenarios slightly? Because I remember in previous years they kind of tweaked slightly, like wind conditions and stuff. Or... I don't believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, but up the top there was like the attacker bonus or defender bonus. Sure. Um, and there were a few other like nitty gritty things, like they pointed out what each terrain represents. Yeah. yeah which yeah. was actually pretty handy. Cause I like, like that because this board was Lake Town, yeah. but it was written down. Hey, this is shallow water. Sure. So, pretty neat touches. Like, every part of that is great. Yeah. Look, the one part that got me, like, <laughs> literally got me, was that the formatting was in such a way that everything got, like, pushed upwards. Mm. And the scoring, there was that sneaky bit on the bottom left. Oh. It's, if you have, you know, if you have the relic in your half, you get three points. Yeah. And then, cut to the right, which is what I read from, it's if, you, if you're holding the relic, you'll get five points then it goes like full stop if you're in your opponent's territory. Oh, so it's like that line of if instead. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course it's like, if you get it off the board, you get seven. Yeah. So in my head, there were two modes. Yeah. Hold the relic, get it off my table, edge, sure. their table edge. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never doing that. Yeah. So I'll just hold the relic. Yeah. Um, Damn. And look, this bit, this, like, I think, Oh, look, I'm, I'm going to own to this. I think part of the game is going with the highs and lows of the dice rolls. Yep. So I think being emotional while you're playing, I think it's, I would say encouraged. Like you, if you get like the 96 on the orc and holds up Aragorn, you're meant to be like, whoa, what? Not yep. just be like, mm, yeah, that was statistically uh, not likely to happen, but here we are. <laughs> um, like you're meant to just roll with it. <laughs> you like that one? Uh, for listeners I'm silently laughing an art that I am increasingly have to master with uh, doing a podcast with Jordan (laughs) Um, and that I guess just carried to 
that 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 rug pull moment. Yeah. Um, it's the gotcha moment. It was the gotcha moment that always kind of takes the wind out of your I, sails. I I I think I said this in for you. I'm always happy losing. I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely happy losing. Angus whooped my butt. It was yeah. a proper butt whooping. Had a blast. Yeah. Um, and not that this game wasn't fun. This game is a real interesting dance of how the hell do I get this bloody objective yeah. while Nathan's just peppering me with with poison arrows, which was sick. Um, I just wish I knew that my role was to run right instead mm. of back. Mm. Um, and then that could have changed the whole game. So the gotcha, you know, sort of got to me. I, I, I don't think I was like, you know, uncivilized or whatever, or like too, you know, up in arms about it. I was just sort of like, you know, like, oh, bugger. Yeah. You know, I just, it yeah. feels bad when you think you've earned something and then they're just like, nah, you Take didn't. It away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it is that awkward uh, conversation yeah. with the opponent where they're like, "Oh, how do I break this to you?" Um, no. Yeah, and and like Nathan, he's not a mind reader. He didn't know that I was misreading the scenario because yeah. I said you're playing for a tie now, Nathan, because you got my you got the leader kill and you got the break, so it's five all. Okay. And then he's like, "Oh no, it's five three. He's mm. like, oh, uh, uh, "Sorry." And it's like, "Yeah, I was wondering why you're running backwards. I didn't get it. I thought you were going to like run because." Basically, you can run backwards, then to the right, and there's a big house. Yeah. And then maybe he thought I was going to run back forwards. Right. And be out of range of the archers. But yeah, yeah. So, he he was just like, why are you doing that? Yeah. But okay, you're okay. playing the long game. Yeah. And look, again, like he can't read mine, so he didn't know. Mm. Um, and so, it just ended up a loss, which is, which I'm obviously totally cool with now. Like it's, it, and even even then I was like, oh, bugger. Yeah. What can you do? But uh, yeah, just a little gimme, I guess. Just quickly, Jim's game, uh, I don't... I like. So, the end result, let's just start with that. Yeah. He got a draw. He was goblins facing eagles. I reckon that's a pretty good outcome for him in a, in a mission which was board control. Board control. I reckon this was pretty well done. If I were to look at those two lists I would and that scenario, I'd say eagles are going to win this. Yeah. Because yeah. they can just dodge around the Balrog, get a charge in, probably heroic combat here or there. Because two of them have might. Yeah. And then run away when the time is right. But he must have kept his Balrog as like a shepherd or something. Yeah. And, and if the eagles come in, there's always that chance of the whip. I think the whip mm. probably did some work. Um, and uh, it's one of those hard things. As the eagle player, you, you've got to be very particular when you're choosing to commit yeah. and come in. And if you kind of misposition things and lose priority or lose a heroic yeah. roll-off, lose then a roll-off and it's all over. it can kind of go pear-shaped um, for you. And I think Jim mentioned the fearless bubble, which meant the goblins can always tag yeah. at worst. Yeah. And then at best, you know, get a few traps and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Because once eagles aren't charging... They drop in yeah. effectiveness. Five eight is great, but two attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he did the heroic runaway, but, you know, it was correct for the Eagles to do that. Um, like, you've got to play for your best result, and it sounded like Hewan's best result was to give his team a draw. Yeah. Yeah. And look, there's nothing to be sniffed at uh, having a draw, certainly. So, well done to both of them. Yeah. Before we wrap things up, though, uh, we thought it might be good to just quickly touch base and see the lay of the land mm. at the end of day one in terms of where the, the teams are standing, right? Yeah, because I think there's another big shift. There is another big shift. Now, if, if you remember, cast your memory back to your listeners, the free peoples were previously on two and they, they, two have, territories. they have risen to the lofty heights of three <sighs> territories. 
but in what is perhaps the largest fall from grace, the fallen realms went from seven, seven. and dropped down to three. It's a big oh, shift. Big whoa. shift, right? Um, Reunited Kingdom seems to be the most consistent of the bunch. They mm-hmm. they lost one, uh, they ceded one territory, but they're still on four, so okay. they're they're okay. in good good um, good stead. So low numbers there. Low numbers there, which can only mean that the mighty remnants of Mordor are sitting proudly on six. Yes, Mordor is ascendant. So with Mordor in prime position at the end of day one. Now we go to bed and come back fresh and ready for day two. So with that said, uh, dear listener, until the next time uh, we're together, have fun hobbying. And have fun gaming. See See you later. later.